This is Jocko Podcast number 314 with Echo Charles and me, Jocko Willink. Good evening, Echo. Good evening. The machine rolls on. That's what happens. When your time is up and you leave, the machine is going to roll on. And that can be can be hard on your brain. It can be hard on your ego. It can also just be hard because you love the teams, you care about the boys, and when you leave, you worry about the void that is there. And you think, oh, who's gonna fill that void? And, and you wonder if you did a good enough job passing on what you learned. And that's rough. It was, that was one of the hardest things for me when I left, when I got out of the Navy. Because my whole life, my whole adult life had been in the SEAL teams. I was full on institutionalized by the SEAL teams. I didn't know, didn't know anything else in the world. And I couldn't help but feel that I was leaving them hanging, leaving my friends hanging, that I was letting them down. But the reality is, that the machine rolls on and there are guys that are ready to step up and take your place and take things to the next level and do a better job and carry the torch and take the fight to the enemy and uphold the traditions and uphold the reputation of the teams and elevate it and so because this next generation of frogmen step up the machine rolls on. And I am lucky enough to have one of those frogmen here with me tonight, Carlos Mendez, Los, who I figured out checked into SEAL Team 1 about a decade or so after I did, I think, but who upheld and uplifted the reputation of the teams while he was in. Carlos, thanks for joining us, man. Pleasure to be here. Wait, what year did you check in a team one? 2005, January. 2005, okay. So it was like I checked in a team one in 1991. <laughs> <laughs> no fun ones. It was still no fun when I got there. Uh, there you go. Uh, well, we'll get there. Let's go back. Let's go back to where you came from because, damn, I mean, it's a weird ride, right? It's a, it's, you, got a, you got an interesting background story. So you're, you're, not, even bo- you're not born in America. No, I was born in Guatemala. So, um, you know, it, it, you know, I'll, I'll even start before that. Um, so my father passed away when my mom was pregnant with me. Oh, dang. So, yeah, actually she got the news on the day of her baby shower. What did he die from? A car accident. Whew. Yeah. Um, so uh, I was born in Guatemala to a single mom obviously. And, um, you know, my grandparents, my, my dad was their favorite Mm -hmm. son. So when my mom had me, I was the favorite grandchild. And, um, they had, they had a lot of, they wanted a lot of control over the way she raised me. And it was this conflict back and forth. And, um, you know, when I talked to my mom, she said, ultimately that's what, uh, 
drove her to the decision to, to immigrate to the U.S. She's like, I need to get you away from here because I was a, I was spoiled rot. <laughs> <laughs> from what I hear, I was an absolute terror, uh, and I can get away with it because grandma was there to protect me. And, uh, yeah, she used to babysit me. My mom would drop me off in the mornings. And it, it was funny because the things that you remember just so weird. I remember we would go get gas, and in Guatemala, you know, people don't have a lot of money so if you filled up a full gas tank you got a baby chick okay yeah <laughs> so my mom you know filled the gas tank up and we would get a baby chick so i remember i would drive back to my grandma's house and i would have that baby chick and we had all kinds of them you know from all times we filled up the gas tank <laughs> so it was me chasing chasing a bunch of chickens and chicks in the backyard it's interesting that your mom she's got to be a pretty uh, interesting human because you would figure here she is single mom and she actually has the this kid you that is getting swooned over by the grandparents it seems like a single mom would be like thank god these grandparents are here to help me through this and i'm i'm totally i'm kind of set now right yeah. i got like backup yeah. as opposed to no backup which you know your dad was dead i mean that's but she but she just thought oh he's being spoiled <laughs> We're out of here. <laughs> oh, yeah. My, my mom's a gangster. She is a very old school Hispanic, um, just very, you know, disciplined, uh, screw your feelings kind of thing. It's always your fault kind of thing. Uh, like, I remember anytime I got in trouble, she's like, what'd you do? It was your fault. And I'm like, everybody else's parents stand up for them, not my mom. My mom's like, what'd you do? I know, I know it was your fault. Some way or another, it was your fault. So that's why I always kind of joke around with JP that I had extreme ownership. <laughs> At birth. <laughs> yeah, basically. But yeah, that's what drove her decision to, to leave Guatemala and come so, to the U.S. So how old were you when you came to the U.S.? Do you remember? I guess you must remember because you remember the five. checks. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, things here and there that you remember. I, I was like four or five, but I do remember I was in school uh, and I remember showing up to school and not being able to speak English. Um, and my mom set me up for total success. <laughs> and I say that sarcastically because she would dress me up in like a collared shirt. Or every, everything was had to be like a collar. Because, you know, in Guatemala, you dress nice to go to school. Mm -hmm. You have a uniform. And, and now we were in, in uh, San Francisco, not a nice area either, you know. Um, and so I, I'm wearing this, you know, button-up shirt with some, some Docker-type <laughs> pants that we got at the Goodwill. Shirt had to be tucked in. And, like, these alligator skin shoes because in guatemala they're they're cheap you know like alligator skin shoes so that was like the thing and, and she's like you know guatemala these are like a luxury and i'm like well over here it's getting my ass kicked <laughs> wearing these alligator shoes and dockers and tucked in shirts so yeah uh i needless to say I, I ran into a lot of issues when i first showed up didn't speak english and dressing like a complete dork and, <laughs> and and you know the kids that i'm with are a little rough around the edges but what'd your mom do for work when she got here so I remember she worked at she worked at the school that I was at so she can keep an eye on me as a teacher's assistant. And then after school, I remember she worked as um, she, she would clean houses. Mm -hmm. And I remember going after school, we would go to you know whoever's house and she would clean it and I would do my homework while she cleaned. And if I didn't have homework, like I would help her out. And um, and then I think like twice a week or so she would go to English school to learn how to speak English mm -hmm. and I'll go with her there and are you but you're you're getting uh what's it, immersion training at school because you're just showing up and they're speaking all English oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and uh it, it's kind of funny because when 
so my mom's side of the family was already in San Francisco, Oakland, Bay Area. Okay. So that's why we moved there. She had her side of the family there. My dad's side of the family was the one that stayed in Guatemala because they're, they're actually pretty well off there. Um, so she had that support system, and I thought it was it was interesting how my family was like, oh, the kids need to learn how to speak English so the kids won't make fun of them. And my mom was just like, I don't care about his feelings. Like, okay, they make fun of him. So what? He's not allowed to speak English at home because he's going to forget Spanish. He's going to learn English regardless. But I want him to to remember how to speak Spanish. So at home, I wasn't allowed to speak any English. Your mom is a gangster, huh? Oh, dude, she's <laughs> she's heartless. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Uh, so then you ended up, she ended up meeting someone else or getting married to someone else, right? Like a uh, stepdad showed up basically. Yep, yep. So she actually met my stepdad in San Francisco in uh, English school. So he was from Czechoslovakia when it was still Czechoslovakia. Oh, dang. Yeah. And his story is, is pretty amazing. Um, you know, when he was in high school, so he was there when it was still under communist rule. Mm-hmm. So when he tells a story, uh, you know, he was in high school and he drew a cartoon criticizing communism. And I guess like a week later, some some men <laughs> showed up. They dragged him out of school. They beat him up. And then they told him, hey, when you graduate, we're going to send you to the mines and you're going to die there. You're going to work there for the rest of your life till you die. So he was just like, nope, not happening. Um, he started planning his escape and um, didn't tell anybody, not a soul packed his stuff in like this green bag that he actually still had when I met him, packed everything he had in there and, and, and ran away. And, um, he just recently told me this story too, like maybe two, three months ago, like the actual details of how he crawled for days across the border and somehow made it into Yugoslavia. And yeah, it, it's a pretty crazy story. Yeah. The, the, when you're in those communist countries, the amount of in government inform like it's some crazy number, like 50% of people are government informants. It's a crazy yeah. number, it's a crazy number. So your stepdad couldn't have told anybody because if you tell one person, you might as well just tell everybody exactly. and you're gonna get ratted out. And he's already got the threats of being in the mines for the rest of his life and dying there. Good Lord. Yeah. Freaking savages. Um, <clears throat> so they end up getting married, I mean, is that? that the next phase yeah they they started dating and um in my head i'm thinking like oh sweet i'm finally gonna have a dad you know little did i know he was meaner than my mom (laughs) (laughs) you know i mean he's he's a hard hard man i mean he's you know communist block they grew up very very hard up there life is hard um so he was hard on me so what were you doing growing up what was uh what was what was a day day in the life of carlos um, Let's say age I, 11. Oh, age 11. Mm-hmm. Oh, by that time we had, I'm not sure. I don't remember if we had already moved out to Sacramento. At one point, you know, they were like, hey, you know, the Bay Area is just too expensive. It's not a great place to raise a family. And uh, we moved out to Sacramento. And I remember we started renting this house out that had this huge yard. Well, for me, it was huge because I hadn't seen a backyard, mm-hmm. you know, in San Francisco or Oakland. And, um, and, and he just gave me a, a ton of chores. Like, that's what my life, so my life was, I come home from school, I do chores, I do homework, and then after we eat dinner, you know, I wash all the dishes, I take everything off the counter, wipe them all down, sweep, mop, like that was something that I did every single day. And then in the backyard, I always had all kinds of chores, 
that he had for me. And um, I think a lot of it, too, had to do with he, he worked a ton. Like, he is probably the hardest working man I've ever met in my life. Like, yeah, he was mean, and probably growing up, I, I wasn't, <laughs> you know, I hated him growing up. But now that I, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all grown up and I look back, like, man, that guy worked his ass off. Like, he did anything and everything he could do. Like, I remember he used to sell, like, uh, vacuums for Electrolux. Uh, he used to deliver pizzas for Domino's Pizza. He finally got into, like, ITT Tech mm-hmm. to become a drafter. So he became a drafter eventually, uh, designing like elevators or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then I remember he would do that all day. He would come home, he would take a nap, and then he would go back and deliver pizzas all night long. Get maybe like two, three hours of sleep and do it all over again. So, you know, looking back now, I'm like, okay, that's why I had to do so much stuff around the house because he just just wasn't around. He was Mm -hmm. providing for the family. And when you get to, like, what, what kind of kids are you hanging out with? Uh, you playing any sports or anything? No, my mom and like I said, my mom and dad were both really strict on me. And the only two things that I was really allowed to do growing up, I remember were Legos and reading. So I would devour any book I can get my hands on because we weren't allowed to watch like TV. Actually, I don't think we owned a TV for a big portion. And then finally, when we did, we weren't allowed to watch a whole lot of it. Um, they had a subscription to Reader's Digest. <laughs> so I would read Reader's Digest cover to cover. Okay. As soon as it came in, I was actually the one that would rip the, the wrapper open and I would just start reading. And it's funny because it was actually the first time that I was exposed to the teams, even though I didn't know it. There was an article in uh, Reader's Digest when I was a kid and it was something like the hardest school. You know, I don't remember exactly what the title, but it, w- it talked about this gentleman who was in the army saw some team guys and went to Bud's and he talked about his experience going through Bud's. But at the time I didn't know what it was. I was just like, oh, cool story. But yeah, Legos, reading. I wasn't allowed to really play with other kids because my life was like chores and homework and my parents were both perfectionists. So, you know, I would turn in my homework and if the handwriting was sloppy, they're like, do it over. Or like the dishes, like if I do the dishes and like one of them was wrong my step, I'd be like, do them all over. I'm like, dang it. <laughs> so, um, that's kind of how I remember my childhood it was a lot of chores, um, homework, and then kind of just reading a lot and playing with Legos a lot. Yes, sir. Right. Um, did you end up, yeah, I think you've mentioned to me you had some kind of like little farm or something at some point. Yeah. Or like at least some little animals running around the house. <laughs> yeah. So at one point, you know, we got accepted for this program that was like for, for low income families where they allowed you to build your house. And it would offset some of the costs, but it would allow, you know, it was like a path to ownership. Yeah, that's legit. And so my parents both applied for it. We got accepted. So for a long time, that was, that was actually a big part of my childhood too. For a long time, I remember like going to school and then going to help at the construction site. Um, my weekends, same thing. They were, they were spent at the construction site helping build our house. And when it was completed, you know, my stepdad had all kinds of stuff in the backyard. Like we had this little farm. So we had, he built like, when I say he built, I mean, mostly I built. <laughs> Cause my weekends were like, I remember my weekends like, oh, I'm gonna get to sleep in. And I would just hear a bang on my window like at 5.30 in the morning and it's him like, hey, get up, it's time to work. I'm like, dang, you know? So I go out there and we, we, we built a greenhouse. We, we had all kinds of fruits and vegetables. Uh, we had a compost pile. So I remember digging that hole. He made, he wanted it so big and I spent forever. I did all our irrigation. So I dug all the holes for that. And then he got this idea for, so we had all our fruits and vegetables, but he's like, now we need our meat. 
So he's like, we're gonna, you know, in Czech, we used to rabbits. <laughs> so I remember yeah. going to the state farm, like looking at all these different rabbits. And then he's like, oh, these are the kind that you can eat. <laughs> so we bought like a male rabbit and like two or three females and we started breeding rabbits. Little did I know that was gonna be, that. so that's another chore now that I had like taking care of these rabbits, feeding them, you know, cleaning up their poop. And then when I got the poop, I put it in the compost pile and everything, like all the clippings from the grass and, and everything we grew, we'd throw in the compost pile. And now I'd have to get in there and like mix it up and it was miserable. But then the, the baby rabbits got to, the, to age mm-hmm. and uh, he's like, hey, your chore from now on, another chore is gonna be like, hey, you're gonna kill the rabbits, you're gonna skin them and you're gonna put them in the freezer. And I'm like, well, I don't know how to kill a rabbit. He's like, you're gonna learn today. <laughs> and he's like, well, let me know. He's like, let me know when you kill that first rabbit. Let me know and I'll show you how to skin it. So I, I remember being a kid, cause I'm looking at, I'm like. I'm how like, old are you at this point? I'm gonna say junior high. Okay, so what's yeah. that like? Like 12, 12 or 13, yeah. something like this? All right. I'm more around 11 or 12, okay. I think. Cause I remember being young. Mm-hmm. Cause uh, I remember, the, so the first one I'm like, okay, I think, I think I'm gonna drown the rabbit. Right, so I grab a bucket, I fill it up with water, and I grab this rabbit and I put it in the bucket, and and it freaking won't die, and it, I, I'm and now I'm I'm crying. Yeah. I remember crying because I'm like, oh my god, please die, just die, damn it, and I'm just holding it and just like finally, you know, the rabbit dies, and I'm just like, oh my god, that was the most miserable experience ever. I'm like, I'm literally, I'm crying. I'm a kid, and so finally I go back in. I'm like, okay, I killed the rabbit, you know, and he's he's like. He's like, stop crying, Fifina. That was his nickname for me. <laughs> Which Fifina is, is, is freaking Czechoslovakian for what? It's Czechoslovakian for pussy. <laughs> so, um, so you know, he, he shows me how to skin the rabbit. And I'm like, okay. And I'm not really paying attention because I'm still traumatized. <laughs> <You're> traumatized, bro. <laughs> and then he's freaking like, raise these yeah. rabbits. So, <laughs> so now he's like, okay, it's time to kill the second one. And now I'm like, I'm going to do it a different way. So I, I'm like, I grab a two by four. I'm like, all right, I'm going to hit this rabbit on the, on the head. So I grab the rabbit. I'm like petting it, you know, and then I, I hit it, but I kind of half-ass hit it. Yeah. So now he's just like twirling in my hands. And now again, I got snot running down my nose, tears, and I'm just like hitting this rabbit again. Like, please, damn it, just die. And finally, after <laughs> whacking it like a million times, he died. Same thing, comes out, teaches me how to, how to skin it. And then on the third rabbit, something happened. You know, uh, <laughs> something already <laughs> happened twice. By but the something way. happened that actually stuck with me for, for till today. Okay. Actually, all right. So I remember I got this rabbit and I'm petting it, and I'm, now I'm talking to myself and I'm like, "All right, motherfucker." By the way, this is how serial killers get created. Yeah. Just <laughs> after <laughs> full on so, talk to yourself. So yeah. when I told my wife the story, she's like, "I get it, <laughs> Jack." But I'm I'm looking at this rabbit and I'm like, you know, talking myself up. I'm like pump, pumping myself up. But I'm like, you know what? I gotta commit, like 100% commit. So I remember I grabbed that rabbit, I grabbed that two by four, and I hit it as hard as I could and it was out. Mm. And from that point on, it's crazy, because even in the teams when I did something that I was a little bit scared of, or even in you know anything, I'm like, commit. Mm. That thought has always come <laughs> in my head, like if you're scared of doing something, you gotta 100% commit or it's not gonna work. And, and in that moment, I had that epiphany mm-hmm. as an 11, 12 year old kid. So, yeah, that's my rabbit story. So, I, you know, a lot of times people ask me questions about, because I got kids and parenting and all that stuff. And one thing I warn, ki- warn parents of, you know, if you push hard against your kids, oh, 
yeah. They're going to push back. And by the way, this isn't just with kids. This is with a SEAL platoon. This is with a company. This is with a business. You start imposing stuff on people, they're going to start to push back because they're humans, and humans don't like to have things imposed on them. And you can, by the way, you can impose things on people permanently, but you have to, like, crush them, yeah. and you have to continuously crush them forever, and you have to be willing to go to that distance where you crush them, which is not going to produce the type of humans that you want. So was there any pushback? And Or let me rephrase that. At what age did you start to say, I'm pushing back against this stuff? Uh, I'm going to say around my sophomore year. Um, you know, I'm 15. And, I'm, you know, like, like I said, my, my stepdad ruled with an iron fist. And at that point, I'm like, you know what? I'm not scared of you anymore. Because his punishments were so extreme. Like his punishments were like, oh, you're grounded for the weekend. It was like, you're grounded for the next two months. And if I messed up, it was like another month. And it was like, dude, there's like no light at the end of this tunnel. Two months when you're a kid might as well be life in prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and you know, they didn't let me play sports. So I wasn't hanging around the jock. So guess who I hung out with? I hung out with thugs. Mm -hmm. Hung out with uh, people that, you know, weren't the best influence on me. And um, I got into some trouble. You know, um, and I got I got I got locked away in, in juvenile hall and and so how old are you? Uh, 15, 16 years old. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember when that happened because my my stepdad at this point he had actually just graduated the CHP Academy, so now he's oh, law enforcement. Damn. Yeah, he's law enforcement, and I'm running around. You know. Little little mini gangbanger. Yeah, breaking the law. And at one point I got caught. I got arrested. And I remember the cop bringing me in and interviewing me. And I'm just like, I don't want to talk. Because, you know, I got that stupid mentality. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm no snitch. No, I'm a gangster. So I don't snitch. I don't say anything. And he's like, hey, it's not going to go. Little did I know everybody else was singing like a <laughs> bird. So, um, so it was crazy because I, I remember going to court. So they put me away. They called my parents, and my parents were like, leave them there. Like, you don't want to come get your kids? Like, nope. Leave them there. I, and I knew. And I even told the cop, I'm like, don't bother calling my parents. They're going to leave me here. He's like, oh, you were right. <laughs> so anyways, I'm in court, and, and, you know, the judge is like, hey, do you want an attorney? And I was like, no, I don't. And he's like, are you sure? Do you know what you're doing? I'm like, yep, I don't need an attorney. I was like, 15 years old, I'm going to represent myself in the court of law. <laughs> well, I was like, hey, I'm, I'm guilty. I did it. Okay, Chuck. And then he's like, so you plead? I was like, I, I plead guilty. Like, I'm not even going to fight it. And um, he's like, check. And he gave me my sentence. And I remember seeing my parents and no expression on their face. But I, I could tell, like, my mom was was disappointed in me. Yeah. As they, they took me away in, in cuffs and and uh, had to do my time in juvenile. How long, how long were you in juvie for? I think I think a couple months, and that's because they, they were full and – and honestly, I like I, I was a good, respectful. I was a, I want to say good. I made, but I was a respectful kid because of the way I was raised. Mm-hmm. So when I was in juvie, like, you know, the correctional officers were like, "You're like the politest criminal I've ever met." <laughs> did you did you start to see the path that you were going down at that point, and and realize like maybe this is the way it's going to end up? Yeah. So, you know, having different roommates in juvenile hall kind of opened my eyes. I'm like, man, I don't belong here. Like some of the kids that were in there, like one of my roommates was in there because, you know, he tried to murder this girl with his friends and they were so high off drugs that when they tried to dig, they dig the hole to bury the body, they were so high that they did, they buried the hole like not even a foot deep and they put her in there and just put some dirt and didn't realize she was still alive. You know, I mean, those are the kind of roommates 
that I had. I think at one point they put me in with like a kid who was in there for a hate crime, like a skinhead mm-hmm. in there for a hate crime. And, that, you know, just being there, I'm like, dang, I don't belong here. And I felt terrible that my parents, because I knew my parents had raised me the right way. And I'm like, man, I, I really let them down here. Um, so that's when I knew. I was like, this is this is not what I want to do. So, so was that a good a lot of times you th- people think that but then you know as soon as they get out and they get back around their friends you know was that a good enough like scared straight situation that you actually were scared straight uh i wouldn't say scared straight because now i'm like okay i did it it was fine um in my head i'm like i'm i'm hard you know like i go back into juvie now i'm on probation and any any little thing is like an automatic 10 days you go back so when i got out same thing it was actually even worse now you know, and, and it got to the point where I'm like, hey, you know what? I'm going to do whatever I want, whenever I want, whatever I want, whenever I want. And I would wait for my parents to go to bed and I would just sneak out of the house. So you kind of got emboldened. Oh, because you went in there You because it wasn't really a scared straight thing. It was more nope. like you got emboldened because yeah. now you think, hey, dude, I can juvie wasn't that bad. Yep, you exactly. know, no factor. I'll get out. And, yep. you, and so you actually got you actually got worse. So I, I stopped committing crimes. <laughs> But I was going out. I just wanted to hang out with my friends, honestly, because it. it was just so strict. And where I made my mistake is this, this is around the time where cell phones started coming out. So I would, you know, my parents went to bed early, too, and they would put me to bed like at 8 o'clock. I'm a teenager put me to bed at 8 o'clock. But at, at the time, I'm like, Tucking cool. You in, yeah, bro. put me to bed early, you know, because the earlier you put me in, the earlier I'm leaving. Yeah. So I would wait for them to go to bed. I would go to the, to the uh, living room. I would grab my dad's cell phone. And then I would roll out. And now I'm Damn. the only kid like rolling around like with a cell phone. I'm like, yeah, let's call so-and-so. Let's call so-and-so. Like, you know, until the cell phone bill came out. I, like, I didn't know that because I didn't know how cell phones worked. <laughs> yeah, because back then, this is in oh, the yeah. 90s. Oh, yeah. So, so you yeah, get so charged, you get charged per, per minute per call. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it wasn't cheap either. No, it, it was, was like not. A, it was like a dollar a minute Yeah, or some cra- something crazy like that. Yeah. So my dad blew a casket when he saw that bill and. Long story short, it was just this constant back and forth between him and I. And, and, and it got to the point where I told him, I'm like, hey, I'm not scared of you. I'm going to do whatever I want, whenever I want. Like, what are you going to do? Beat me? You, you know, ground me? I'm already <laughs> grounded for life. And so at this time, I'm, I'm still getting in trouble for smaller things. And my probation officer was like, hey, listen, you're like at the point where we're just going to put you away till you're 18. I was just like, oh, dang. And I had a teacher at the time that I had built a great relationship with. Um, he was like my, it was like a life skills class where I teach you how to like write checks, pay your bills, stuff, you know, stuff like that. And him and I had built a good relationship and, and I don't know how he got wind of it, but he, he knew the judge or whatever. And he was like, hey, you know, he's, he's a good kid. He just, he's got a situation at home where he doesn't get along with his stepdad. And, and the judge is like, well, if you think he's such a good kid, then you adopt him. And he said, okay. And he adopted me. And, um, and at that point, like, I think my stepdad was, like at the end of his, you know, his way, he's just like, I can't, I can't handle this kid. He's like, go. And he signed, he signed away. And so are you 16, 17 at this point? 17. Yeah. 17. So you're going to basically my, my senior year, your senior year of high school, you're going to go li- live with, my go teacher. live with your teacher. Yeah. So I lived with him and it was, uh, what was the deal with this teacher? Dude, Is this like the coolest teacher ever. I don't know. So he was very religious. Okay. Like him and his wife were very religious. They had five kids. They had raised them all to be very like successful people. Like they were just good people. Mm-hmm. 
But in my head, I'm like, what is this guy thinking? Because I wouldn't let some little thug move in with me. But honestly, when I moved in with him, I was so grateful that I told him, I'm like, hey, this is your house, your rules, and I'll follow them. And I didn't give him like a peep of trouble because I was so grateful for what he had done. And and he treated me, he treated me like an adult for the first time. You know, he was just like, hey, if you're going to go out, just let me know who you're with, what time you'll be back. And for me, that was like, what? You're going to let me go out with my friend? Like, it was something that I wasn't allowed to do before. So I was so grateful for that. I, I'm like, dude, this is a great thing. I don't want to mess it up. And you didn't hear a peep from me mm-hmm. for the rest of the year. Like I was on my best behavior with him. Are you getting good grades in school? Yeah. So actually, I, that's the funny thing is I actually did really well in school. Even this whole time? Mm-hmm. And it was funny because I had my probation officer required like a, a progress report. Mm-hmm. I think, so, so that's how he got a wind of it because the teachers would look at me and be like, dude, you're a good kid. You get good grades. Uh, what are you filling this out for? And I'm like, my probation officer. And, like, <laughs> and they would look at me like, what? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so there were a couple teachers actually during that time that had a big influence on, on me. And one of them's name is uh, Bobby Pryor. He's Pryor Navy vet. And he talked about Navy SEALs too. And he had a big influence uh, on me as well. And I remember him like telling stories about, you know, when he was in the Navy. And he told me this story that stuck with me for a long time about these two SEALs. They were on the beach and they got in a fight with some biker dudes. And they just got back to back and got after it. And he's like, these bikers were laid out. And he just talked about how badass Navy SEALs were. But I still didn't make that connection. You know what I mean? The connection being that this is something you could actually do with your life. Correct. Yeah. yeah I was just like, oh, that's cool. You know? Um, so between him and, and, and the other teacher that I lived with, uh, they were a big influence on me in a different way. Like, I might, you know, my stepdad taught me a lot of things that I'm super grateful, how to be tough, how to be, you know, work ethic. But they, they had like a softer, more empathetic mm-hmm. uh, mentoring. I think that's a better word. They were more mentoring me. Yeah, I know the, um, well, <clears throat> here's your, your dad saying, hey, you can't go out with your friends, or sorry, your stepdad saying you can't go out with your friends, et cetera, your mom's super strict, and it makes you wanna not do what they're telling you to do. Oh, 100%. They, when they impose things on you, it makes you not wanna do it. This other dude says, hey, you do what you want. Just you know, just let me know what you're doing, and you all of a sudden want to follow the rules. Yeah. It's like so such simple psychology on human beings. When you impose things on people, they don't like it. When you give them freedom, they're gonna take advantage of it in a, in a positive way. I don't. Here's something interesting. Like I have grown kids now. I have one that's not grown, but my other kids are, you know, uh, how old? Twenty two, twenty, and eighteen. They didn't have curfews. Like, oh, like wow. they, I'd just be like, oh, yep, cool. Oh, you know, go out. This is when they were 13 years old, 15 years old. I'd say, okay, you know, let me know where you're going. Sometimes, hey, you know, what, when are you going to be back? Are you coming back tonight? And I just let them do what they want to do. And they all turned out, they, they all are fine, you yeah. know, which, <laughs> well, well <laughs> I mean, you want to say like, <laughs> you're like stuttering. Then they all, well. You know, they're fine. I, I mean, they're all good kids. I mean, they're yeah, all, they yeah. are actually all, fully, they're fully, all yeah. good kids. They yeah. all like, you know, are on really good paths in life. And I, I never, now, if you were to step, uh, there was some incidents that took place along the way. Some, some things that need some corrective measures need to be imposed from time to time. If things got a little bit too far out of line and that happened a few times, but then it was like, oh, they'd get back in line and realize, and then I would just give them, kind of give them their freedom back. But you know what, one of the key things is that you said is, and I tell this to people all the time, treat them like adults. 
especially when they're in that age. This is this is a trick too. There's a little trick to this. There's an age where oh, you're 14 years old. Oh, you think you can? You want to be? You want to be an adult? Okay, cool. Guess what adults have? Jobs. Guess what adults do? Pay bills. They pay rent. Yeah. They pay for their cell phone. They pay for their food. So you want to be treated like an adult? You want to do whatever you want? Cool. I can treat you like an adult. You owe rent, or oh, you know, you need to pay for food and all that stuff. And they realize really quick that's a real good appreciation tool. They, you want to make somebody appreciate what they've got, make treat them like an adult. Yeah. And and they kind of they're thinking they want to get treated like an adult. And then when they start getting treated like an adult, they go, "Hey, I'm cool with being a kid for a little bit longer." Yes, <laughs> uh, so what did you do when you graduated from high school then? Was it straight to the Navy? No, no. I actually had no intentions of joining the military. So after high school, I started working construction full-time. Um, and then on the weekends, I worked at Long's Drugs on Saturdays and Sundays. And this was the summer after I graduated. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And, and then, you know, those two teachers I told you about, they're like, oh, so, you know, you got to start college. I was like, no one had ever talked to me about college. And I was like, oh, I don't, I, you know, I wasn't excited about it. So they signed me up for college, they helped me out, and I started going to community college, and uh, I didn't like it. I was there, and I'm just like, I feel like this is high school all over again. Because you know you're taking the prereqs, yeah, so you're taking the same stuff. So in my head, I'm like, I'm not learning anything right now that's gonna help me in life. So I, I dropped out very quickly, I think I was there for like two minutes, and I went back to work in construction, because I was making, you know, for an 18, oh, seven, yeah. actually I was still 17, because I graduated on 17. I was making good money, for you know, 17, 18 year old, for sure. and I would work seven days a week because I loved the fact that the more I worked, the more money I would make. Um, so I'm like, dude, I'm gonna, you mean I can work seven days a week? So I did it. Um, and it was around that time at Long's Drugs, they used to have uh, VHS, you know, they still have VHS. Yeah. And, and we, had, we rented out movies. And so every Friday night, I would go and pick a movie out for myself, and, and that would be my Friday night. And one day I picked up the movie Navy Seals oh, with dang. Charlie Sheen. <laughs> <laughs> and I went home and I watched it. And I was just like, whoa, this is badass. And then that's when I, this is, these are the guys that Mr. Pryor talked to me about. And that's where I made that connection. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm going to go be a Navy Seal. And I didn't even know how to swim that well. Damn. Yeah. I went into the recruiter's office, I think, the next day and. You know, I told him, I was like, hey, I'm here to sign up for the Navy. I want to be a Navy SEAL. And, of course, they all laughed. God, he was stoked. That recruiter goes. Oh, yeah. I was a recruiter's <laughs> dream. That's outstanding, yeah. son. You look like you'd make a great Navy <laughs> SEAL. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. This guy totally set me up for failure. Like, yeah. So, he, he you know, he, I went through the process very quickly because I'm like, hey, I'm committed. Let's do it. You know? Um, and so... I, you know, I take the ASVAP, whatever, and then and he gives me the, the corpsman rating. He's like, what do you think about being a corpsman? And I was like, what's that? And he's like, oh, it's like a medic. When you get out, you're like a registered nurse, and you can have a job. I was like, oh, okay, cool. So when I get out, I, I'll have a skill, so I'll be the medic on the team. So I'm like, yeah, let's do it. So um, were, were you in the dot? Were you, did you get some kind of a SEAL contract? Like how did They didn't you? have that back then. Mm. But here, here's the thing. I didn't know anything. Right. So this recruiter totally me, screwed me over. One, I wasn't a citizen. So you can't be in the teams without being, but you know, this, this part of it oh, will, will come right. into play. Yeah. So, you know, I go off to boot camp. Um, he ships, he ships me off under a corpsman contract. So I go to boot camp. Yeah. So you're, so just so everyone knows you joined the Navy as a regular Navy dude, as yeah. a corpsman. 
and that that gives you no leverage whatsoever to try and get to buds. I mean, yeah. very little leverage. What year is this? You figure nineteen ninety nine. And by the way, I I barely got into the Navy because I had I had felonies on my record, so I had to get like multiple waivers. And back then, you know, being in the military wasn't cool, so they were like, all right, you know, because I tell my son now, I'm like, listen, he knows I got in trouble as a kid. I'm like, listen, you can't do that nowadays. No. It's I mean, you got to have secret clearances. You got to do this. I mean, you do. Yeah. You it's know. totally, they're way more selective now. Oh, yeah. In every branch. And for SEALs, for sure, it's because yeah. there's so many kids that want to go into it. Yeah. They can t- pick and choose. Exactly. Yeah. So so I go to boot camp and um, they have the video, you know, with all the cool stuff. And then I'm like, this is it. And they're like, who wants to try out? And I'll, I raise my hand. I'm like, heck yeah, this is it. But the problem is I didn't know how to swim. <laughs> so we take the screener. Dude. We take the screen. And, and look, I can get from one end of right. the pool to the other. But I am not what you would call a good swimmer. Like I never took you know, swimming classes. Like I could do this. Right. Like kind of doggy my way over. <laughs> and I wasn't scared of the water. It just, I just wasn't good. And I failed it the first time around. I was just like, dang, dude, what am I going to do? You know, now I'm really stressing because now I'm like, damn, I'm going to go to the regular Navy. And I was really, really scared of the regular Navy. I was like, I don't want to get stuck on a ship. And so they're like, um, my RDC really, really liked me. You know, I was her yeoman. So I had it, I had a lot of freedom. You know, the yeoman, ca- it like, takes all the paperwork. So you have actually a lot of freedom in boot camp to walk around because I would deliver all the all the stuff. Where'd you go to boot camp? Great Lakes. Check. Yeah, so sh- she was like, hey, I'll let you try out one more time. And I was like, oh, no. So I go... And by the way, everyone and their mother's trying out. So yeah. there's like 50 people in the pool. So I'm swimming and I'm listening to the times and I'm like, oh my God, I'm not going to make it again. So I just stood up at one point. I was like, I'm done. <laughs> and they're like, okay, get out and get ready for push ups and pull ups. I was like, oh shit, that worked. So I got out. So you just cut a lap off your time. Oh, so I'm going to say I cut like a lap two. Or two. <laughs> I'm going to say it was like at least two. I was nowhere near finishing. And but there's so many kids in the pool. Did I'm you like, do any work? Did you, like, uh, had you worked out at all? Go. Like, so I was very you, athletic. Yeah, growing up, but you didn't play sports. So I played sports in high school. Oh, okay. Yeah, we didn't cover that. Oh yeah. Oh what yeah. The coaches. In high school. So I played. You know, in PE, I would play football, basketball, anything, and I would catch on to it very quickly. Like coaches were always hitting my mom up. Like, Did you hey. play any sports for the school? No, I wasn't allowed to. So it was just PE. Yeah. And that's why the coaches, because the coaches are usually the PE teachers. Mm-hmm. So they yeah, call yeah, my mom sure. and they're like, hey, like your son really needs to play football. I really needs to do that. Because I was really athletic. I was fast. And I was functionally strong mm-hmm. because I did so yeah, many like, chores that I was right. I was a very, pretty strong kid, you know, for my age. So so I was athletic. Mm-hmm. I could do push-ups all day, pull-ups all day. You know, I could run. I just couldn't swim. Mm-hmm. So when I got out, you know, I crushed the pull-ups and push-ups and, and everything else. And so I'm going through the process and then um, – the dive motivators like hey just so you know corman are not it's not a seal rating it was the only year that they did it where Dude. for whatever reason they were like if you want to be a corman with the teams you got to go to the marines first so i was like oh, i don't want to do that so i went to th- the office and i changed my rating to like a boatsman's mate damn and then i go back and I'm like, hey, you know, I, I'm a SEAL rating now. And he's like, cool, now we can get you in. And then as he's doing my paperwork, he's like, you're not a citizen. You can't go. I'm like, dang it. <laughs> so I go back. I change it back to a corpsman because I know what a boatsman's mate is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I go back. I change it back to a corpsman. And, you know, they're like, hey, sorry, man. We really liked you, but you got to get your citizenship first. So 
from there I went to core school. And then from core school, where, where, where you ended up with the Marines, right? Yeah, yep. So about the majority of the corpsmen, especially if you're male, you're going to go to the Marines. So they sent me to a school called FMSS where they basically teach you how to be a Marine. You know, they teach you like Marine Corps, uh, like ranks, etiquette, whatever. And then at one point they, they ask you if you want to go Marine Corps regs which is basically you got to cut your hair like them. And if you do, you get like to wear their, their green uniform. Mm-hmm. I forget what they're called. And they're, and like everybody was like super moto. And they're mm-hmm. like, yeah, I want to be Marine Corps regs. And then they're like, what about you, Mendez? You want to be Marine Corps regs? And I was like, no. And like, but you get a uniform. You get to wear the Marine Corps uniform. I'm like, I got enough uniforms. Because before you had to always carry them around in your sea bag and, and you had inspections all the time. I'm like, I don't want another uniform. <laughs> And it was right around that time where I met the, the recon corpsman that was there. Um, I mean, you just looked at him. He just looked like a stud. So I immediately gravitated towards him. And, and then he's like, hey, just so you know, we're going to have tryouts if you want to be a recon corpsman. At the time, they were like 40% manned. They're like, we're really hurting. We could really use people. So I go and I try out, and I feel the swim again. <laughs> but, you know, he's like, hey, man, get out, do the rest of it. And, and that screener was actually legit. Like, it was tough. Like, it was a ruck run. It was, like, pull-ups, push-ups. It was, like, the Marine Corps PFT, and then it was, like, all these different calisthenics with, with no number. You just did it for time, and they had a number that they wouldn't tell you. So, like, hey, you got to do this amount of mountain climbers, and they wouldn't tell you what it is. It was, like, a day-long screener. And I passed everything else. Like, I crushed everything else, and he was, like, hey, I'll tell you what. He's, like you have until the end of FMSS to pass a swim. He's like, you're obviously, you know, athletic. You, you have the physical abilities to do, you just can't swim. So I'm like, okay, perfect. And at one point I, w- I remember going in his office and, and doing like the dive physical and getting my chest x-ray and whatnot. And somehow through conversation, I was like, yeah, I want to go to Bud's. He's like, you want to do what? He's like, I was like, I want to go, go to Bud's eventually. Like I'm just kind of doing this, you know, my time with the Marines and, until I can get to Bud's. And he grabs my paperwork. He, like, crumbles it up. He's like, you will never be a recon corpsman. And he chucked my stuff in the garbage. Damn, bro. He's like, get out of my office. Like, that was pissed. it. And I was like, oh, snap. Yeah, so then I got orders to uh, 2-4, which is a grunt, mm-hmm. grunt battalion there in Camp Pendleton. And as soon as I get there, I'm, like, really regretting it. I'm like, dang, what did I do? You know, maybe I should have just kept my mouth shut and just gone with it. <laughs> And as soon as I get there, that's usually good advice. Yeah, <laughs> many yeah. cases in life. Yeah, right. And so, <clears throat> as soon as I get to two four, they're already like, "Hey, we're getting ready to deploy." So I basically I didn't do a workup or anything. I basically just I think I was home for maybe a month, and then we deployed to Japan. My first deployment. And what are you doing? What did you do on deployment? Would you do exercises and stuff? Um, so I was like the the coverage corpsman, and and you know, my chief knew that I wanted to go to Bud, so he he would attach me to like the amphibious assault platoon or whatever, mm-hmm. like where they did all the boat stuff and OTB stuff. So I did that. Uh, was like their their corpsman. Basically, if anybody got hurt, I was the corpsman coverage for that. But during that deployment, that's where I like got really serious about learning how to swim, and I was in the pool every chance I could get. Like if. If I had the time, I would go in the mornings, I would go to lunch, and that's why. I, oh, because there was a guy that I met that had dropped out of Bud's. Mm. And I told him, I was like, do you know how to do the combat side stroke? And he's like, yeah. I was like, teach me. <laughs> <laughs> so he taught me, and, and that's where I, I got proficient at, at swimming was during that deployment. This is still pre-9-11. Oh, yeah. So it's just all 
kind of training. Yeah, just going on training missions and yeah. big exercises. And so that's a normal six-month deployment you go on with the Marines? Yeah, pretty uneventful. Get done with that, and what happens you come home from that? So I come home, and then uh, we get a new chief, and we start talking, and then he's like, hey, have, have you ever thought about going recon? I was like, uh, I was like, yeah, I've thought about it, you know, but I, I want to go to Buds or whatever. He's like, hey, why don't you have the, the conversation with this this recon chief? And so the the recon chief and I start talking, and then he's like, um, he's like, hey, we have a guy here who's not really working out, and we we want to see if you want to come over here. And I told him, I'm like, hey, I want to be honest with you, like, my goal is to go to Buds. He's like, hey, listen, no problem. He's like, why don't you come over here, see if you like it. If you like it, stay. If not, I'll send you to Buds. And I was like, oh, okay. And then he's like, um, he's like, if you come over here, I'll give you BAH, Ooh, which has an E. Damn. What's BAH? Oh. Basic allowance for, for housing. housing. Yeah. But it, it's <laughs> legit. It's, no, it's legit money. Yeah. No, it could be like 1200 bucks a month. Yeah. And when you're, what were you? E4. Yo, you're an E4. You're sort of like maybe almost doubling your paycheck. Not quite. Maybe like yeah. 50% of your pay. Yeah. You're going you're gonna to make extra. Yeah. It's a big deal getting that BAH. That's why dudes get married, by the way. Dudes, <laughs> yeah. That's why you see 18-year-old Marines are like, yep, I'm getting married. Why are you getting married? Do you, oh, you met the woman of your dreams? No, but I'm going to get BAH, BAH, son. Yeah. They want that BAH. I understand. Yeah, so <clears throat> it's, it's a big deal, especially in the Marines, because in the Marines, the, the, the barracks had to be like 95% man, and you had to be like an E5 or above. And so I'm an E4, and he's like, BH, and it's magic words. I'm like, let's do it. <laughs> so I headed over there, and uh, and I see the guy that I'm supposed to replace, and the guy looks like Superman. I mean, he's super tall, just jacked. And I'm like, I'm replacing this guy? And then, you know, I kind of, like, I could tell that the LPO there kind of saw. I was like, oh, dang, you know, I see this guy. And then he's like, his, yeah, he looks like Superman, right? And I was like, yeah, he does. He's like, you know what's his kryptonite? Water, Ooh. and he, I guess he he would freak out during the water evolution because they had him like tread water with like they do a lot of stuff over yeah. there with water and mm. and um, yeah, I guess he would just like freak out so I'm like okay cool so that's how I ended up there um, they put me right into <laughs> my first introduction to them what was was an SR. So they were like, hey, you're going to do an OTBSR. At you're Pendleton? Gonna be yeah, Pendleton. Yeah. I had just been there. I had just gotten there. And there was a corpsman there who had, at the recon battalion, who, was, who had orders to go to Bud's. So they're, they were like, hey, can you take, you know, Carlos under your wing, kind of show him how to pack out for an, uh, an OTBSR. And I, by the way, I've never swam in the ocean before. So now I'm about to, you know, at night, get dropped off, God. swim to the surf zone. Yeah. With a, With a recon loadout. Oh, yeah. Which is no joke. Enormous. <laughs> So he's like teaching me how to like load my stuff out. And then I'm like, hey, what about like warm weather stuff? He's like, this is recon, bro. <laughs> and then by the way, this is wintertime. And, and then um, he's like, this is recon, bro. Like we don't take that stuff. And I'm like, okay, you know, it's like check. He's like, we take batteries and this and that. He's like, I'm like, okay, got it. And then I'm like, hey, question, how am I getting this rook through the surf? Because it's heavy. He's like, oh, you can put flotation on it. I put a ton of flotation on mine because I'm like, damn, I'm going to drown. <laughs> so we go and we do the SR. I, I make it through the surf zone, just sheer will. But, I mean, I must have swallowed, like, a gallon of water going through the surf zone. It was my first time ever. But, I, you know, I'm trying not to be the weak link. Uh, Fifi, what is it? A Fifina. Fifina. Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying not to be a Fifina. So we make it through, and, you know, we change out, and we start uh, patrolling, and then we get to, to, the, to the place where we're going to set up camp 
And then everybody starts busting out their warmies. Hell yeah, they were. And I look around and I'm like, damn it. And they're like, hey, what's up, Doc? Like, where's your stuff? And I'm like, where are we gone? <laughs> I was like, I thought that we didn't bring warmies out. And they're like, no way, bro. Like, we bring a ton of warmies out. And I'm just like, oh, and I'm, just, and, and I'm freezing cold because oh, yeah. it's wintertime out in Camp Pendleton. We just went through the surf, so I'm still wet. And finally, I'm just like, you know what? I, I'm going to volunteer to just watch the radio all night. I was like, there's no way I'm sleeping tonight. And so I did. I just jackhammered all night long, watched the radio, and would get up and walk around just to try to keep myself warm. And the Marines loved it, you know, because I volunteered to do watch all night long for for the rest of the SAR. But that was my introduction. I was, I, when I got to the teams, I was a new guy. Didn't have my bird yet. And I got sent to a comm school out on the East Coast that was run by uh, by the teams. And I was a new guy. And my butt, my swim buddy was a new guy, two of us. And we, we there was a like a six-day, five- or six-day FTX that you went on at the end of this comm school. It was a two-month comm school. It was freaking legit. It was a great course. And the chief that was running it, you know, I was like asking him questions because I was wanting to know, you know, what would be a good thing to bring when we're in the field. And I said, hey, you know, our guy, you know, should I bring like a sleeping bag? Should I? And he goes, if you're hardcore willing, because, you know, I was always trying to be hardcore. He's like, if you're hardcore willing, you'll just bring a poncho on a poncho liner. And I was like, well, check. I am fucking hardcore. Yeah. And I'm just bringing on a poncho on a poncho liner. And I did. And that's what I went out in the field with. And as we inserted, the first night, it was raining as we inserted. It turned to sleet, like as the vehicles pulled up to drop us off, and then it turned into snow. It was balls cold, balls cold. And w- on this course, you had like a comms window. Every, every two to four hours, you'd have to make comms to some different part of the country. And most guys would like miss comm windows, and that would be, you were getting graded the whole time, and if you had the best grade at the end, then you get extracted early. And so, we, me, my swim buddy, same thing. Like he, we were, we were trying to be hardcore, so we didn't have warmies for shit. We freezing, and we never missed a calm window. And the reason we never missed a calm window is because we couldn't we <laughs> sleep. sleep. It was just, just like freezing. <laughs> but yeah, that's um, always bring a ground pad and always bring a bivy sack because that's what I learned eventually. The bivy sack is the deal. If you got a bivy sack, you can climb in there and you can pretty much just gut through some serious shit. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But um, yeah, that's good. That's the way. That's what. That's what happens to the new guys. Yeah. Don't believe when your chief says you, we don't bring warmies. He's full of shit. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, the, the the recon corpsmen that were there, they were cool about it because they were like, "Hey, we heard what happened." Like, dude, I'm not gonna say the guy's name. He's like, he totally hooked you up. Huh? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, he did. <laughs> so. At that point, they put me into RIP, which is the Recon Doctrination Platoon. So basically, it's you competing for a slot at their at BRC, which is like their selection process. And that's the one that's is it still in Coronado? It's in Camp Pendleton. Okay. So RIP is in Camp Pendleton. What's the one that used there? Used to be something in Coronado. That's BRC. Got it. So in RIP, they put everybody in there who just showed up to the battalion, and you're because there's only thirty slots, so you're competing. Uh. So the top thirty guys go to BRC. If you didn't make that cut, you go through rip again, and hopefully oh. you make it through the, the you know you're in the top thirty. The next How long round. is rip? Um, so it d- there's no like real timeline to it. I think it was just like, hey, you're just doing it until the next class mm-hmm. of BRC shows up, mm-hmm. and then they start ranking you, and then you get your your slot. And so you know the corpsmen were like, hey, just so you know, like you know, Marines are always harder on the corpsmen. Don't let us down. And so I, I go to rip, and I'm doing well on everything except for land nav. 
can't freaking land nav to save my life, dude. I was just getting lost and I was really getting down on myself. And and then one day it just clicked. Mm-hmm. Like I looked at the map and I'm just like, oh, it came to life. I get it. Yeah, I don't know. It was just like this moment, like a light bulb moment. And from that point on, like I was like, land nav, got it. So I was able to secure a spot to BRC. So I go to BRC, which is in Coronado. Mm-hmm. And that's where I start seeing like the Buds guys. And I'm like, dang, you know, I wish <laughs> I was here. But I'm, I'm here now. And, um, you know, I did pretty well in BRC. There was a guy there named Mendoza. Mm. And he was not good <laughs> at all. And the instructors would get us confused. <laughs> oh. And so I would be running by and like, hey, you drop. And I was like, okay. And like, where's your, I heard you lost your map and this and that. And I was like, that wasn't me. That was Mendoza. <laughs> and they're like, oh, <laughs> like, we'll push him out anyway, you know? And then finally this guy, I, I don't remember if he quit or if he got dropped, but thank goodness. Cause then once he got dropped, I'm just like, cool. Cause he, he was just messing up left and right. And they would get us confused. Mm-hmm. Mendez and Mendoza. So I, I had to pay the man a few times for his stuff. <laughs> and then sometimes they're like, you know what? Both of you <laughs> just pay the man. How long is BRC? If I remember correctly back then, I think it was like two months long. Mm-hmm. And so you, obviously you finished it? I did not. I actually got a stress fracture about two weeks from graduating. And, um, you know, they they sent me back to the to the BAS with the corpsman. I got x-rayed and everything like, yeah. And at the time, you know, they, they were like, hey, how was he doing? And I'm like, actually, he's, he's ranked number one in the class before he got dropped. So he's like, he's welcome to come back. Um. And then at that point, they're like, hey, do you want to go back? And I said, no. I was like, I want to go to Bud's. I made my decision. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, I, I want to do this. Like, Because here's the thing. like, If you finish, um, you, now you owe them time. Because oh, after that, they send BRC, you. Yeah, if you, you finish, them, then God. they send you to jump school, dive school. And now you belong to them because they've invested money into you. Um, and it was kind of funny, too, because when I went, they were like, somehow it came up that I wasn't a citizen. And they were like, oh shit, you're not a citizen? Like you actually weren't supposed to go to BRC if you weren't. So they were like, let's get you some citizenship. So they, they kind of fast-tracked me and I was able to get my citizenship. And so they're like, hey, for the rest of the time here, you know, we're just gonna attach you to a platoon. Uh, and So yeah. they approved you going to Buds. They were like, all right, if that's what you wanna do, yeah, cool. They were really, yeah, they were awesome about it. They, they I had great leadership mm-hmm. there. They were great, great, like super professional guys. Um, I still keep in touch with some of them. So, hey, I'll tell you what we're going to do till, till you get orders and you go, we're just going to put you in a platoon and you're going to do a workup deployment and you just be the corpsman. And then when you get your orders to go to BUDS, you go. So that's what I did until I got orders to go to BUDS. What are you worried about this stress fracture scenario? Because, like, that's all kinds of people get stress fractures in BUDS. Um, I wasn't because I, 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 I never, you know, I was like, oh, I'll heal up. I'm young. No factor. Yeah. So I, I got orders to go to Bud's in November of 2003, right? Or 2002, sorry, 2002. November of 2002. So yeah. where were you when, when uh, 9-11 happened? I was at the first, uh, recon battalion, but they were like, hey, I, I don't think we got deployed or anybody from that battalion got deployed um, to, to Afghanistan at that time. But I, I was still there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, at that time I already had my path so they were like hey even if you go there you're not gonna go with the, the platoon so then when did you when did you get the buds finally november of 2002. <sighs> what you expected uh, I mean, you must have been pretty freaking kind of ready for it oh, at this point oh yeah i had i had run with a ruck i had done otbs countless otbs i was really good at land nav i mean like i, I got attached to a platoon did a workup deployment with them so i was i was ready 
Um, and so when I showed up, like, oh, here's the thing too. They, they, they sent me to like a, 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 like a combat engineer battalion. They're like, hey, we're going to send you, like, you can't be in the platoon anymore because they're about to deploy. And, you know, obviously it's going to overlap. You're going to start buds before. We're not going to bring you home halfway through deployment. So they're like, go to this combat engineering battalion and you can work out all day. And that's where I met this guy named Captain Gwyn, um, who had like a master's degree in kinesiology and was all about in fitness. And when he learned that I was going to buds, he's like, let me train you. <laughs> I was like, are you serious? He's like, yeah. So he got me even more prepared. Like we worked out three times a day in the morning at lunch and afterwards. And then he started teaching me how to eat properly. So when I got to buds, I was, I was ready. Like I could do 30 or more pull-ups, 120 push-ups, 120 set. Like I was, I was a machine when I got mm-hmm. there. Um, and your water had obviously improved. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. At that point I'd done countless OTBs and yeah, that was good to go. And then did you get what you expected there in buds? Any, any issues or anything? <laughs> so when I got there, I'm like, you know, everybody tells you, oh, you gotta be the gray man. So I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to be the gray man. But and by gray man, people that don't know, this is just a term to, to, to explain if you can go to buds and you can kind of not stand out, that's yeah. a good thing. Cause there's very few people that stand. There's only might be one or two, maybe three people in a class that stand out because yeah. they're good. Mm-hmm. But the people that stand out because they're bad, and then once you got someone watching you, oh yeah, then everything you're they're going to start seeing all kinds of things that you're doing that are jacked up. So one of the strategies of going to buds is to try to be the quote gray man, meaning just be in the middle, finish the stuff, don't stand out, don't draw any attention to yourself. And that's a good strategy for getting through. And you had heard, I don't think we had that. I don't think that was a term when I went through, uh, but I kind of instinctively, well, everyone instinctively knew you didn't want the freaking yeah. instructors to know your name or your face, or you just <laughs> yeah. wanted them to ignore yep. you as much as possible. So, you know, you just try to do what you're told and try and, you know, yeah. try not to stand out. And that was the plan. I'm like, all right, I'm not going to shine. You know, I'm just going to stay in like the top 25%. But that was not possible because when I first got to Buds, you know, you're standing watch when you're waiting to class up. And, um, you know, a buddy of mine there in Buds is like, hey, let's go out one night, you know, let's, before we go out. So we go out and we party. And how, how old are you? I'm 22. Okay. Yeah, 2002. I'm 22. Yeah. I was so, like, I was young. So I couldn't, yeah. going out wasn't a thing. I could go to the, the bar, the, the E club on base you could drink when you were 18. But I wouldn't even want to do that. I was just want to make it through Bud. So it's weird to me. It would have been. It's weird to me, like having a guy like, "Hey, let's go out to a bar," because I can't yeah. fathom what it would be like to go to a bar when I was in Buds. Yeah. So we go out, and he starts talking to this girl, and then he's like, "Hey, bro, like I need you to, you know, her friend really likes you. Like I need, I need you to, to, to entertain her while I'm with this girl and blah blah." And I'm like, "Dude, I got a girlfriend." He's like, "Come on, man, we're gonna be in the teams. Like you're supposed to have my back." He's like, you don't want to be known as that guy. And I'm like, really? Like, you're going to play that card with me? So I'm like, dude, I, I'm, I'm not digging it. You know what? I'll talk to her. I'll keep her busy for you. But I could tell she she's into me. Like, she wants she she wants more. And he's like, dude, we're going to go back to their place. And I'm like, dude, I really don't want to. He's like, bro, come on. you got to do this for me. I'm like, listen, I think she wants more than, than what I'm willing to give. Because <laughs> one, I wasn't attracted. Or two, you know, I had a girlfriend at the time. And then... um. So I'm like, all right, dude, like I'll go, I'll go back to their house with you. And when we get there, I I see her car and it has a first recon battalion sticker on it. 
And I recognized that sticker because it's a sticker for different parking lots. You had different mm-hmm. stickers. And that was like an operator sticker. Like if you got to park in the operator parking lot. And so I was like, hey, where'd you get that sticker from? She's like, oh, I could tell she's getting flustered. And she's like, my, my husband. And I'm just like, <laughs> and in my head, I'm just, Lord. I'm just like, Yahtzee, this is my out. And I'm like, bro, we cannot do this. We got to go. I was like, I am not doing that. Now I have a legit yeah. reason to not go through with this. So we take off. We go back to Bud's. And uh, now I'm standing watch on, on Monday morning, and I get a phone call. I'm, I'm, I'm standing watch at the quarter deck with another guy. And I get a phone call from the 618 quarter deck. Mm-hmm. So 618 is where the barracks are at. So you have the Bud's quarter deck, and you have the, the barracks quarter deck. And it's, it's one of the guys in, in my class. And he's like, hey, Los, there's, there's some Marine here to see you. <laughs> And it didn't even cross, honestly, dude, it didn't even cross my mind. Yeah, because like, you, you were in the Marines. Yeah, you were and with I was like, Marines. oh, cool, one of, my, one of my buddies is coming here to visit me. I was like, that's awesome. I was like, cool, man, what's his name? And he's like, hey, bro, what's your name? He's like, he doesn't need to know my name. He slept with my wife. And I was like, what? I was like, I didn't sleep with his wife. And I'm like, bro, tell him I could, I could explain, like, nothing happened. Like, I didn't know she was married, blah, blah. So I'm trying to explain. And all I hear is this guy in the background saying, like, I'm gonna I'm gonna kill this guy. Like, I wanna talk to him right now. And I'm like, dude, I'm on watch. Tell him I'm on watch. And when I get off at noon, I can talk to him. And he's like, No, I wanna talk to him right now. And then I'm like, fine. Tell him to come up to the to the Bud's quarter deck and I can talk to him here. And I guess tell him nothing happened. Like, dude, I don't know what's going on in your marriage, but nothing happened. So then my buddy's like, dude, he's headed over there and he's he's big. He's a huge dude. I'm like, oh, my God. So I'm sitting there, and and then the other guy that I'm with, he's like, bro, you have to tell the instructor. You have to tell the OOD. He's like, there's no way. You get in a fight here on the quarter deck, you're done. And the OOD happens to be a first-phase instructor that day. So I'm just like, oh, my goodness. So I'm like, all right. So I go to the first-phase office. You know, I ring the bell. I'm like, you know, HM3 Mendez, here to see instructor so-and-so. And the whole first phase staff is in there. Because oh, this is in the daytime. Yeah, it's in the daytime. <clears throat> yeah, it's, this is morning. So I go in there, and uh, at that time, all the instructors at Buds were, like, enormous. They're all, like, 6'2 and up, just jacked out of their minds. Like, I, I, I swear they do it on purpose for intimidation factor. But at the time, they were all enormous. So I go in there, and they're, like, drop turd. So I'm in the push-up <laughs> position in my dress blues, you know. And they're like, what do you want? I'm just like, some Marines coming over to kick my ass. <laughs> and they're like, would you screw his old lady or something? And I was like, nobody thinks I did. And they're like, like, who's this Marine coming over here to start some shit? Like, let's go over there and beat his ass. So the entire first face staff's like, yeah, let's go over there. So they all head over there to, to the quarter deck. God, and at the man. time, there's like some guys from like Team 5 that were waiting there to, to screen for another team. And some of them knew each other, so like, hey, you know, what's up, what's up? And they're like, oh, you know, Sabrina coming over here to start some shit. And they're like, hell yeah, like beat his ass. <laughs> so now I'm like, yeah, come on over here, you know? And uh, and so we're waiting, and nothing happens, and I'm like, dude, where is this guy? And then the phone rings, and it's my buddy from 618, and he's like, hey, bro, I heard what happened. I was totally messing with you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I could literally oh my God. feel the blood just like drained from my face. And then the instructor's like, is it him? And I was just like, I just, I, I, I didn't even, I couldn't speak. So I just handed him the phone. <laughs> and then he's like, 
this is instructor so-and-so. Who is this? And he's like, oh, this is airman so-and-so. <laughs> like, where's the Marine? He's like, it was a joke. <laughs> he's like, oh, you got jokes? <laughs> I got oh. jokes too. He's like, you and Mendez in your wetsuits, two canteens on the grinder. Get some. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we got beat. I, he ended up quitting shortly thereafter. Um, but there was no being the gray man. Mm-hmm. They all After knew my that, name. You were the man. Oh, yeah. And it was just like from that point on, I'd be like, where's Mendez? Doesn't matter. Hit the surf. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you passed your uniform inspection. That's great. Hit the surf. So, yeah. So I was like, all right, well, if I'm not going to be the gray man, I just go balls out, I guess. Might as well. Freaking legit. So you're not the gray man anymore, and you're going just going hard. Is there was there any? Did you have any issues in buds? Yeah, I did. Um, no, not buds, with these. Buds finds the issues, man. <laughs> yeah. Finds your issues. Yeah, you know, during one of the surf passage um, evolutions, I had one of the paddles come across and like break across my shin, and so I had this huge bruise on my shin for a while, and I was like, you know, whatever, and I just kept going through training, and at one point. I realized that when I would press down on my muscle, it would just stay. Mm. And my knee got really swollen. I could barely move it. And and I'm a corpsman, so I know. I'm like, dude, these are like um, symptoms of compartment syndrome. But I didn't want to say anything. So I I made it to the weekend, and I went back up to the the recon battalion. And I'm like, hey, guys, like, is this what I think it is? And they're like, I think it is. Like, dude, you need to go to the hospital. So I was like, well, I don't want to go to Bud's because I don't want to get dropped or rolled or whatever. So I check myself into Camp Pendleton Hospital. And then they're like, dude, you got to get this drained. You either have to have surgery or you have to get this drained. And I was like, well, can we try draining it first? And then he's like, yeah, sure. So they got this enormous needle. I mean, it was thick, too. And they just started, like, draining the blood from there. And they're like, dude, you're not going to be able to, to finish Bud's and whatever i was like no i'll be fine <laughs> so i go back to buds and then the the instructors got word that i had checked into to medical up there and they're like dude we have a medical here they were cool about it yeah. like i thought they were gonna be pissed but they were like hey you know um they they liked me at that point um what phase was that first phase oh damn. this was before hell week damn yeah before hell week. so it was like the week before hell week and then they were like hey no big deal we'll just roll you to the next class and I was like, you know, it was extremely disappointing. Um, so I got rolled, and then I got rolled into two, four, five, and then the run before, like the 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 last day before we started Hell Week on a run, I stepped in a pothole, or I stepped in like a you know hole in the sand, and I twisted my ankle really bad. Like this thing was enormously swollen, and then uh, I was like, no, it's fine. Like I'll go through Hell Week, and you know I'll be fine. And they're like, dude, you're not going to be able to go through that. And in my head, I'm like, this is twice now. There's no way they're keeping me. And um, the the proctor at the time, he, you know, he's looking through my record. And he's like, dude, you haven't failed a single evolution here. Like, not a uniform inspection, not a room inspection. Not, and you know how they are yeah. over there. He's like, not <clears throat> one. I was like, no. So, you know, I had attention detail from... A, my childhood, <laughs> and B, you know, my time with the Marines. Yeah, like, I sure. had attention to detail, and I could follow directions. That was, like, the, that was the one thing I could really do. So they were like, you, you know, you haven't failed anything at all. They're like, you know what? We're going to roll you one last time. And then, you know, last time I made it all the way through, no issues. So. And then where'd you end up going from there? Uh, so, you know, you got uh, jump school, SQT, 
uh, Alaska, and then I was a corpsman. So they sent me to uh, 18 Delta to to go through mm-hmm. the, the special operations medic course. Mm-hmm. Which is freaking long too. Yeah, it's a little over six months. And if you go through the full course, it's like a year long. Did you go through the short course or the long course? Yeah, so I went through the short course. They asked me if I wanted to do the long course. And I said, no, I didn't want to do that. Um, but before I headed out there, uh, you know, I'd been dating the girl I was telling you about, Buds, mm-hmm. and, and we actually ended up getting married before I went out there. And I did it because when I was going, so I had just bought a house too. So I bought a house around that time in San Diego, or not in San Diego, it was in Temecula because I'm an idiot, you know? <laughs> and I was like, oh, look at this big ass house yeah, I could buy out here house, for cheap. Yeah. <laughs> you know, back then it was yeah. really cheap out there. And I didn't realize like how long that drive was. So um, so I, I got married because I'm like, hey, I really need the San Diego BH because I spoke to the admin lady at Bud's and she's like, yeah, if you have a house and you're married and you have, you're here, you're gonna get San Diego BH and not North Carolina BH, which is like, it's pennies yeah. compared to, to San Diego. So once again, why'd you get married? <laughs> Want that BAH, yeah. son? <laughs> yeah. I did love her. I'm sure there's other reasons. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so the, the reason I bring that up is because that was actually a sticking point when I, when I was there. It was an issue because as I was going through the training, I wasn't getting paid at all. I was getting zero Like BAH. no money? No, no BAH. No BAH, okay. Which is a big deal because now I got a mortgage. And so I'm digging into my savings and I had been going, you know, uh, you know to the... Um, to the cadre that were there. They have some SEAL cadre there as well. It's not like all army guys. Obviously they have the liaisons for, for NSW. And, um, I, you know, I kept going up to them and telling them like, hey, I still haven't gotten paid. Still haven't gotten paid. And they were just like, oh, don't worry about it. And like, it'll happen. Like they just, I just felt like they weren't concerned about it at all. Um, and if we're being honest, I wasn't a fan of theirs. Like I could just, I just didn't get a good feeling from them. And I'm really digging into my savings and now I'm running out of money. And, <laughs> I don't know if you know who Captain Smithers is. Mm-hmm. So he was the CEO at Bud's when we were there. And obviously, like, they knew who I was because of what happened. So, you know, him and I had <laughs> chatted every now and then. And he actually came out and did some jumps with us. And at one point during one of the jumps, like, he was sitting next to me. And he was like, hey, you know, just so you know, if you ever need anything, reach out. <laughs> you see where this is going? Yeah. So I called Bud's quarter deck. And I'm like, like, you know, Bud's quarter deck. And I'm like. Yeah, can you please transfer me to Captain Smithers' office? <laughs> <laughs> so I told him the story. I'm like, hey, I haven't gotten paid. Like, these guys have totally blown me off. They haven't been helpful at all, blah, blah. And he's pissed. He's like, check. So he has Commander Zinke call me. <laughs> and Commander Zinke calls me. And then he's like, that's that's unsat that you've gone that long without getting paid. So he calls over to the school. I get paid like two weeks later, but I get brought in and just chewed out by this senior chief and chief that are over there. And they're like, you know, do you not understand how the chain of command works and blah, blah, blah. I mean, they were furious. And they're like, you know, we're going to take you to a Trident review board. We're going to drive you down to Virginia Beach uh, and and have a Trident review board. And I'm like, dude, are these guys serious? So I go back home and I start calling like my recon buddies. I'm like, hey, is it cool if I come back? <laughs> like, I think they're going to pull my Trident. And then they're like, dude, heck yeah. If you, if you get dropped, come on back. So, you know, I go in there and then during one of the, the the ass chewings that I'm getting, I'm like, you know what? I'm like, if you guys really take me to a try and review board, this is like, what what you know what consumed you to call Cap Smithers? And I was like, we're friends. And I was like, and if you take me to the try and review board, I'll call him again. And they were like, now they like <laughs> lost their mind. And then they're like, you'll be hearing from us when it's time for your try and review board. And then I just never heard from them. Mm. 
they left it alone and I got paid like two weeks later. <laughs> Damn. Check. <laughs> uh, anything else from 18 Delta? Well, that's where I met, you know, I met Johnny Kim. Oh, right on. <laughs> <laughs> that little genius. Uh, yeah, so he was in the class behind me. I met Johnny Kim. I was also uh, roommates with uh, with uh, Dauber. Oh, right on. He was my roommate <laughs> oh, nice. at 18 Delta, so it was, it was pretty cool going through with him. Um, but yeah. And then you, those guys ended up coming to Team 3, and you ended up coming to, going to Team 1? Yeah. So I actually was initially supposed to go to Team 3, and then the corpsman that went to team one, for, for whatever reason, he couldn't get a security clearance. So they're like, hey, you're going to go to team one now, who's already started their workup. And then, you know, Dauber was the first one to get orders to team three. Um, so, yeah, that's how I showed up team one, I think, 2005. Are you just fully amped to be at oh, team yeah. one? Just yeah, like yeah, beyond. Yeah. And the war's going on. Exactly. Guys are going on deployment. Yeah. You get thrown right into a platoon? Yeah. So I get thrown into the platoon. We start, uh, they've, they've already started their work up. Um, and it was everything that I thought it was going to be. It was awesome. The best, best job ever. I mean, it really was. I mean, we would go to, you know, Mississippi for training and do CQC. And then we would go to Kentucky for South. And then we, you know, around that time, the PSD mission was going on. So, like, hey, we got to go to driving schools. So we would go to driving schools and it was just awesome. Like I loved being around the guys. Like it was, it was everything I thought it would be. It, it, it was, it was pretty cool. Um, we had some, we had some issues in the platoon though. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we went through three different chiefs. Dang. Yeah. So the leadership was a little bit of a dang of a problem. And then I think the last chief that they brought in there, like, I don't think he was really into it. He was just like, yeah, I'll do it, you know. Um, and the then, crazy thing, one of the crazy things I learned at Trade at when I was working at Trade at was, look, you're going to you're gonna have some weak chiefs, you're going to have some weak officers, but if you have some good dudes in there, yeah. you'll just overcome all that. Yeah. You'll just overcome all of it, and you'll fi- you guys are, the guys are going to figure out. Oftentimes, the SEAL team succeeds because of the lower, because uh, because of the leadership from somewhere in the platoon doesn't have to come from the OIC. It doesn't have to come from the chief. Now those guys can be bad enough that they actually squash the junior leadership, and that's when you have a platoon that just falls apart completely. Yeah. But if the, you know, I've seen OICs that were just completely getting carried by some two E fives in the platoon. The OIC and the chief getting carried by two or three good E fives. I've seen that all day long. I'm sure you did too. Yeah. Um, but occasionally you'll get a chief or a OIC that, look, when they're great, that's great. We're all good. But it's occasionally they'll squash the junior leadership because their ego gets involved and they don't want the, you know, someone else making calls and it just turns into a total disaster. Yeah. Um, the OIC wasn't very well liked either. Mm-hmm. Um, where, so, yeah. so you guys are getting, do you guys know where you're going on deployment? No, because we're, we're competing for, for where it. we're going at the time. Um, and, you know, like I said, unfortunately, the leadership didn't build good relationships up the chain of command. So even though the platoon was awesome, like we had some really talented people in that platoon, really, really talented people in that platoon. And, um, you know, it is what it is. It is to build really, we were not the favorite platoon. Mm-hmm. And it was around that time when they you know, the LPOs came up to me. He's like, hey, you know, we're short snipers. Do you, you know, I know you were a Marine. You were good at land nav, blah, blah. Do you want to go? 
do you want to go to sniper school? And I said, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, he's like, two caveats. He's like, one, it's, it's army sniper school. And two, you got to go to UAV school afterwards. And I'm like, sure. yeah, yeah, fine, whatever. Just send me. Yeah, it's so weird. It's so weird how your mentality can be so unaligned with other people. They're giving you these quote caveats. Yeah, bro. When 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 we ended up going to Ramadi, we were supposed to go to Baghdad and tasking a bruiser, and my uh, commanding officer calls me in, and he's like, he's presenting this thing to me like it's the worst deal ever, and I'm like so happy, and I'm trying. I'm just poker face, you know, like. Hey Roger, that's sure should we can make some adjustments. And then I was like, oh, I can negotiate. And I said, well, we're gonna need this, and I'm gonna need some more people and some more like support. And he was like, yeah, we can take care of that. Totally hooked me up, bro. But yeah. I was like, oh, are you serious? You're gonna send us to Ramadi instead? <laughs> Let's do this. Yeah. He was throwing caveats at me. I'm like, yep, no so problem, he's like, sir. Oh, we got army this. school. You know, <laughs> we're gonna have to send you UV school. I'm like. Okay, you know, I'm trying to hold my excitement yeah. in. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's do it. So, yeah, so I ended up going to Army Sniper School, and that was uh, that was cool going to Army School, and you know, it's pretty funny dealing with the Army guys. So at one point, so they sent another guy with me. So they sent two of us to, to Sniper School. And we go out to a bar one night, and we see some of the guys from our class. And at that, you know, at that point, they were kind of standoffish because we were being quiet too. You know, we weren't really talking to people. They see us at the bar. And then like, hey, you guys are you guys are the seals in our class, right? And we're like, yeah. Like, you guys, you guys mind if we buy you a shot? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. So I'm like, cool. So they buy us a shot, and um, I take this shot, and it's the most disgusting thing I've ever tasted in my life. Like, I'm, I want to throw up. And it's it's funny because I so I take the shot, and they're like looking at us, and I'm like, thanks guys. Even though inside I'm yeah. like, what the hell was this? So I set it down. I'm like, thanks fellas. And they're like looking at like. Dang, that's why they're Navy SEALs. They didn't even flinch. So I guess they gave us like some gag shot that's uh, supposed to like make you throw up. Yeah, and you just and both and both of us were just like normal face all day yeah, long. Yeah, no expression. Like thanks, fellas. But inside, I'm like, what the fuck was that? Um, it was disgusting. And then they're just like, dang, that's why they're Navy SEALs. Did you see that? They didn't even flinch. They didn't even flinch. And then. Um, yeah, and then we had another, you know, we were back in, back in, in training, and they were like, "Oh, you guys didn't load up in the truck fast enough, or something like that." And they're like, "Oh, this one guy was like freaking out, like, guys, if we don't do this fast enough, we're gonna get beat." I'm like, "So what if we get beat? Like, okay." And one of the instructors heard me, but he didn't know who I was, so he was just like, "Oh, we got we got a tough guy in the group." He's like, "All right," he's like, "Come on out." So he's like, "Push ups," you know, I'm doing push ups, I do push ups, and then he's like. Okay, flutter kicks. Mm -hmm. And by the way, like I used to do so many flutter kicks that I got tired of counting and I would literally set my timer for 10 minutes straight and would just do flutter kicks for 10 minutes straight because I, I didn't want to count anymore. Mm -hmm. So he's having me do these flutter kicks. And I can tell one of the other instructors is like giggling behind him because <laughs> the guy doesn't know who I am. He's like, oh, uh, you're kind of good at these. And then the instructor's like, bro, you know he's a SEAL, right? He's like, dude, why didn't you tell me? I'm over here like an idiot trying to break this guy. He's not going to break. And then afterwards, like he's like, you want you want to dip? <laughs> I'm just like, no, I don't dip, but thank you. Yeah. Um, so you you end up going on deployment. You go to you go to a yeah PACOM deployment. That's where you guys went, right? Yeah. So uh, the majority of the platoon got sent to Guam, and then they were like, hey, if you're a a UAV pilot, a sniper, or a corpsman, you're going to go to the PI, and that was all three. Three for three. Three for three. So that deployment was kind of mm -hmm. weird for me because I wasn't with my platoon for the majority of the time. Like I was literally getting farmed out to whoever needed me. 
So I went to Tawi Tawi, Holo, Zambuanga. There was times where I got attached to like an ODA unit because they didn't have their 18 Delta with them. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I got attached to them. And, and there was a point there on the deployment where I got, uh, I got sent on a ship. You know, because that's how the, I was getting transported from one place to another. And at the time, I had another OIC. Just the way you said that, you're like, I got sent on a ship. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was like the one thing that I dreaded. Yeah. You know, I was going on a ship. So this was like my first ship experience. And I'm there with my, my J.O., who is a prior Force Recon gunny. Damn. Uh, you probably know who he is. Very tall dude. Yeah, looks yeah. mean. Yeah. Just tatted up. Yeah. And so we're on this ship together. And we, we go to Chow and... He, I was like, hey, sir, you know, this is where you and I part ways. I got to go eat with the enlisted. You got to go to the officers. He's like, I'm not eating by myself. He's like, you're coming with me. And we're wearing sterile camis. So no name tapes, no rank, nothing. So we go into the chow hall with the officers. And I'm just like, oh, no. So I'm sitting there. And, and you can tell, like, there's this this surface warfare officer. He's looking at us because he sees he sees my, my J.O. I mean, he's tatted up. Yeah. We both don't look like officers. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> So he, he's, he's looking at us, and finally he gets, he gets the courage to come and sit next to me. He's like, so uh, who are you guys? And then he's like, oh, I'm Lieutenant so-and-so, and this is Lieutenant Mendez. And I was like, oh, dang, I just got promoted from E5 <laughs> to, to lieutenant. So for, like, the rest of the deployment, or sorry, the, the rest of the time on the ship, he's, like, calling me sir and whatnot. And at one point, you know, I'm getting off the helo with my, with my sniper rifle because we were doing, like, some sniper stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm getting off the helo with my sniper rifle, and the CEO knows who we are. We're on his ship, and he was standing next to the CEO, and the CEO was like, "Hey, HM2, do you mind if oh, can you mind if I check out your your sniper rifle?" And you just see this guy's look. He's just he's just see he's steaming bro. inside that he'd been calling me sir for like two weeks, and he's like, "Turns out I'm an HM2." Right. HM2, man. Spot promoted. That's like Andy Stumpf. Spot promotes himself to whatever rank is required. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and then you come back from that, just roll into another platoon. Yeah. And how's that one go? Uh, it was awesome. Um, I had a, a new OIC, new chief, new LPO. Um, and the this OIC was, was pretty awesome. He... I remember when he first got there, he, he set a meeting with me and I'm thinking, oh man, I'm in trouble. Like what's, you know, cause up to that point I had very little interaction with my, my OIC, mm-hmm. like very minimal. And I'm thinking, dude, I'm in trouble. So I go in there and it kind of shocked me that like, he asked me like, Hey, so what, you know, what's your family situation like? Like, how are you doing? Is there anything you need? Where do you want to go with your career? And it was like the first time anybody had really asked me, I was like, I don't know. I was just having a great time being in a platoon. <laughs> You know, and he's like, you know, I noticed you don't have a college degree. There's this program, you know, where you can get commission. We send you away to school for three years and you come back as an officer. Is that something you'd be interested in? And I was like, oh, actually, you know, I, I actually had never heard of that. But, yeah, it's interesting. I'll keep it in mind. And, you know, I always say that this guy built a better relationship in the first two weeks with us than the prior OIC mm-hmm. had built, like, in two years. Um, so it was pretty cool. He, we, tactically speaking, he probably wasn't the best. Um but strategically, he was he was great because he knew who his subject matter experts were. He was a very humble guy, leaned on them a lot, and you know the same group was was together again, and it, it was an awesome awesome workup mm-hmm. for me. Like I had an even better time than the first time because I'll be honest, like I was I was disappointed the, the first time around with leadership mm-hmm. because I had been exposed to really good leadership with the Marines. Right. I mean, they were like 
just absolute professionals. And then when I got to that first uh, platoon, I was a little disappointed. So I'm like, okay, cool. So that's when I started realizing like, okay, leadership is, you know, ebbs and flows. Sometimes you get good ones, sometimes you get bad ones and anything in between. Mm -hmm. It's a bell curve just like anything else. When you were going through, was that when I was running trade at when you were going through that workup? I don't, I don't think you were there yet. yet. Yeah, I don't think you were there yet. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, you know, one thing I've always said is the the Marines have like a tighter shot group or like a tighter standard. So like if you have like the best, you know, the best SEAL platoon, they're going to be freaking off the charts awesome. Yeah. And but the worst seal platoon is going to be off the charts shitty, <laughs> and the Marine Corps has like yeah. a tighter, more standardized group of like, hey, this is what this is where they're going to be. They're going to fit in there better, um, which is nice because you don't end up with those low points of leadership. Um, and then where'd you end up going on on deployment? So um, so before deployment, actually, they sent me to to Central America for a while because they had they had a, you know a mission going on down there, JSET type mission they were like hey does anybody speak fluent spanish i was like i speak fluent spanish so they sent me down there and so i was there for for a while let's say it was long because they switched other people out mm-hmm. like so they were there's like other guys would be go there for two weeks or so but i was there the entire time just because i was teaching all the classes and going out with them and stuff so i did that first and then um we ended up getting uh ramadi mm. so like okay cool we're going back to we're going to Ramadi for, for our deployment. And so far, I'm like, finally, this is it. <laughs> and when did you show up there? October. Let's see. My son was born in July. So, yeah, September, October time frame. Okay. So I, was, I was home for like a couple months after my son was born. But it had mellowed out a lot by that time. Oh, a yeah. A lot. A lot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what was the deployment like? So it started off fantastic. Uh, like when we got there. Um, we hadn't been in country that long. And I remember we got our first mission and um, it was pretty cool. Cause they're like, Hey, it's, it's a little bit outside of Ramadi. So we guys are going to take helos there. So I'm the point man, you know, I'm planning out the routes and, and stuff. And I remember getting in the helo and, and looking around and being like, Whoa, this is legit. Like, <laughs> this is finally here. Like I've got my, you know, I look around, everybody's got their, their nods on, everybody's got their weapons. We're in the helo. And um, you know, it was a DA mission. Like, it's it's basically everything that yep. you want to do, and so you know we get dropped off a few clicks away. I patrol into the target, and um, I see some guards out there with with AKs, and and it's the first time like like literally first mission, and I get to shoot someone right <laughs> off the bat, and I'm like this, this is awesome. Um, so I'm thinking that that's the way things are, you know, because I go back to the base and I'm like, oh, I got to, you know, I got to reload my mags. <laughs> so I'm thinking this is going to be like a normal thing. I better go get some more ammo because, you know, if it's going to be like this all deployment long. <laughs> and then we actually don't do anything for like a month. And I'm just like, oh, we suck again. Um, but then they're like, hey, listen, there's, there's work to be done. But if you want to do it, you got to go to the outskirts. So we actually ended up packing all our Humvees and going out to Tharthar. Hmm. And then from, from there, we were at some small base and we are like living out of our Humvees, but, but we were working, which is what team guys want to do. So For sure. I thought it was, it was a great deployment. You know, when I hear you talk about your, your first one, mm-hmm. that's kind of how I see this one. You're doing DAs all the time. You know, no one really got hurt. It, you know, it was great. So, And you get some good experience. Good to do those reps, man. Oh, yeah. Like you just 
the whole cycle from the planning to the to the transit to the execution and things aren't going quite right but you get them sorted out like you just get good reps man yeah yeah yep and and as a point man like it was it was a really good experience for me it's funny because like around that time you know my my oic at one point we something changed in the plan and then he's like hey uh he's like hey we need we switched course or whatever i'm like checks i was like let me let me get under my poncho and my red red lens He's like, what are you doing? I was like, I need to look at my map. He's like, how have you been navigating this whole time? I was like, map and compass. Because in the Marines, that's how we did it. He's like, you don't have a GPS? And I'm like, no. He's like, if you're going to be my point man, you need to know how to use a GPS. Because I'm like, you know, under with my poncho, my yeah. red lens, like looking at my map and trying to figure it all out. And then, and so I go back to camp and I'm, I bust out my GPS. It's still in the wrapper. Damn. <laughs> It's still in the wrapper, so I'm reading the directions, and when I, <laughs> I'm reading the directions to this thing, and uh, then I'm like, where has this thing been my whole life? Yeah. <laughs> this is awesome. Damn, that's crazy. That was in 2007. Yeah, and yeah, you I'd always done map and, map and compass. Yeah, because that's the way I had always done it, and the Marines, we did a ton of land nav. Mm-hmm. And that's actually how I became the point man, because one of the more experienced guys was like, hey, bro, I don't know how to land nav. He's like, you know how to land it. And this was like my first first uh, uh, platoon. So he's like, hey, you're really good at land nav, right? You're with the Marines. I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty good at it. He's like, you want to be the point man? I was like, heck yeah. So that's how I became point man. But no one knew that I was just going off my campus, my, my compass and map mm-hmm. until then. And then when I discovered that GPS, man, it was a game changer. <laughs> yeah, especially by that time. Because by that time in 2007, it was like one of the, you'd have them on your wrist. Yeah. You'd have them on your wrist. So that's what I had. I had the little Garmin one. I was oh, like, man, yeah. it even goes on your wrist. I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> it's freaking ridiculous. <laughs> and then I started carrying two of them around, yeah. like one in here and one in my pocket just in case just that one broke down. Because now I really right. liked it. So I'm like, I don't want this thing breaking down on me. <laughs> hey, what up that story with the S vest? So um, there's a couple actually. So the the one um, that you know we always talk about with complacency. We had there was like a, a drone that had watched some guys like planting some IEDs in the road and followed them back to their house. And they're like, "Hey, you guys are gonna go hit this house." I'm like, cool. So our our platoon was tasked with hitting that house. And when our you know my platoon gets there, they're like, "Oh, it, it was kind of odd because there's like an old man." some women and children like it's kind of odd and you know as we're on target or whatever um we start finding some like propaganda we start finding like some small stuff but nothing huge um and we'd been on target for i'm gonna say at least like three four hours so we were there for a while like we got pictures of guys like sitting on a couch and and by the way this is like a painful story to tell afterwards because you know you like to think that you're professionals and it was definitely a slap in the face, like, whoa, it's it's really not over. Because leading up to this, like, how, how many ops did you run at this point? We'd been there for a while. So you so you were kind yeah, of... we were in a good rhythm. You were getting the reps, but the reps start becoming routine. Yep, and, and we were in the outskirts, <clears> too. So, like, this this house was out in the middle of nowhere. It's not like yeah. in Ramadi where it's, like, a very dynamic environment mm-hmm. where everybody starts coming out and, mm-hmm. and they know you're there. Um, so, anyways, so we're doing SSE and one of our guys... So, wait, so you hit this target. It's in the middle of vehicles? Yeah, yeah. Humvees. So you drive vehicles up, you hit the target. Now you've done this a bunch of times. You get the target cleared. No contact when you hit the target. No. The people that you find on target is sort of the, the typical sort of people that you're going to find. Old men, couple women, some kids. The houses looks like all the other houses look like. So in your mind, you're probably thinking this is probably probably nothing here. 
Yeah, absolutely. And we had to have targets like that as well. And you're there for three hours doing SSE? Yeah, because we started finding stuff. So like guys actually had their helmet and they were like picks and shovels and stuff. Okay. So like we were going. actually like breaking down some walls. Okay. So we found some false walls and stuff. And Okay. So, so, so suspects, so as you're searching it, you're like, oh, well, this is some propaganda. We need to go a little harder. Yeah. yeah. Now we're going a little bit harder. We find more stuff. Yep. And so, but at the same time, there's been no, no bad guys. No. So you're just really just doing an intel recovery at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which means your guys are kind of chilling out a little bit. Very much so. They're sitting on couches. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> I actually have a picture of that, but. So anyway, so one of our guys goes into one of the rooms and, and lifts a rug up and there's this, um, there's something on the floor that, that's a little different color than the rest. And you could tell it's kind of like a, a door or something. Mm-hmm. So he calls the EOD guy over. He's like, hey, come check this out. You know, make sure it's not booby trapped. And he's like, nope, we're good. And I think we're good. Let's open it up. <laughs> so we open it up and there's there's a bunch of dudes down there. I think it was like 13 to 15 dudes down there. And the first couple had like suicide vests on. Guy chucks a grenade up. It hits our EOD guy in the chest. They dive like behind some furniture. The, the, the grenade went low order. So you want to talk about someone looking out for you. It was old, you know, um, so it didn't blow up to its full potential. And um, the avalanche call came out. Because they saw, they saw the S-Vest on mm-hmm. the dude. So Avalanche, everybody runs out of the house. And as the last dude runs out, you know, our Humvees are already ready to go. And as soon as the last dude, last man out, it was like 50 cows, like <laughs> boom, boom, boom. And we don't know if like a 50 cow hit someone's vest or if the dude clocked himself off, but the house blew up. The house blew up. And some of the guys were, were still alive, I guess, that were still under even that even after that explosion. So guys are coming up. Some guys left their helmets and nods inside the house. So some guys got no nods. I think a couple weapons were left in there as well. Um, Yeah, as a matter of fact, I'll tell you some of the stuff we recovered afterwards. But anyway, so yeah, we're we're laying down fire. And um, at one point, a rocket is shot. And it hits like five feet from our Humvee. So we're like, hey, we need to back out. We need need to drop air on this thing. So we, we back out, we drop air on it, we actually dropped a couple of bombs on it. And then, uh, you know, afterwards when we go and recover stuff, you could tell that these, these guys that, that were there, they weren't, they were, they were foreign fighters. Mm-hmm. They were different than some of the other guys that we had come across. But we recovered some of the nods that we left in there. We recovered um, one of the weapons that we had left in there. And it's crazy because I guess one of them must have picked the weapon up, like our our M4 and started shooting with that M4. And when we picked up that M4, uh, at the front of the barrel, you can tell that the 50 cal round had gone through the front of the barrel, out the back, blew this guy's head off. And then we found this guy's head like 50 yards down down the road, but it was crazy. So, I mean, you you know, we have a picture of the gun like with a 50 cal. So doing that uh, report on all the lost stuff. That stings. Were yeah. you the LPO of this platoon? Oh no, no, I was just a just, just a, a door man. kicker. Yeah. Oh, that's right. You said you were the point man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love being a point man. <sighs> so that gets your uh, that that snaps you back into reality. Yep. Yep. So, um, yeah, it's complacency. Yeah, you said there was a couple S vest stories. Yeah. So the <laughs> the other one was, I guess they were uh, they were smuggling some S vests in. I forget from where it was. You know, when you're young, you don't pay attention to, to some of the details that, that are passed on. But they were they were importing some SVS, um, 
And at one point, the, the Iraqi police pulled this guy over who they thought could be one of those guys that was smuggling SVS. So we take the vehicle and we, we rip it apart completely. And behind the glove compartment, we find an SVS. And so our EOD guys take it out and then they're like, hey, um, let's make it inert and let's put it back and let's see where he goes and then we'll catch him and his friends. <laughs> So they do that. They make you know they 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 make the the vest inert. We put it back. We give the car back to the to Iraqi police. And at that point, you don't know who's you know who's who. So they're all corrupt. Mm-hmm. You know, there's people that have infiltrated uh, all forms of government and police. So we didn't tell them what we found. We're just like, hey, we're good. So they're like, okay, cool. So they let the guy go, and of course, he goes back to his house. And at this point, now we're being mandated to bring you know, the Iraqis with us. Cause for a while there, from what I could remember, we were by ourselves, mm-hmm. like just us. But at this point, like, okay. So anyway, so we end up hitting this house and old boy has his vest on and he's like trying to clack himself off, oh. but it's inert. <laughs> That's awesome. And he man. had actually two switches. Like he had a primary and a secondary. So, you know, yeah. he's yelling out, you know, and he's like, click. And he's like, oh crap. And then he's like, click, click, trying to do the other one. And How's that working out for you, homie? Well, he's got no head now, you know? <laughs> Good stuff, man. And no one got hurt on that freaking, the, where the uh, spider hole was, huh? No. Damn. It's like I said, that's about as good a deployment as you could do. It's a lot of work and no one got hurt. <sighs> you get done with that. And then is that when you come to trade it? Yeah, so I come back and they're like, hey, you're going to have to go to trade it. And I'm like, I don't want to go to trade it, you know? And Are you an E6 now? I'm an E6. Yeah. Yeah. I just made E6 on that deployment mm-hmm. actually. So, um, you know, I come back home, I'm, I'm, I'm having some personal issues, um, you know, with, with my wife at the time and, um, you know, in, instead of <laughs> trying to work things out and, and be a good husband, which, you know, I look back on, I, I could have done a much, much better job of you know, I look back at that marriage. I'm like, hey, you know, that was 100% my fault. I wasn't a very empathetic person. Um, marriage is a tough thing, and it's even tougher when you're young. And, I, you know, it's even tougher when you married a, a teen guy who's gone all the time. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think about that. You know, I'm just like, you know, she moved right from her parents' house to me. And I'm just like, I don't understand what you're complaining about. Anyways, there's a lot of tension between her and I, and she served me divorce papers. And um, instead of you know, trying to take a knee and work things out. What do I do? They're like, hey, uh, there's corpsmen needed for this Afghanistan deployment. And I'm like, I'll go. <laughs> so I end up volunteering for, for a very short augment mm-hmm. before I go to trade it. And, and they knew that I didn't want to go to trade it. So they were like, hey, you've got some time here at Team One before you check in to trade it. Cool. That was kind of like, you know, my gimme. Mm-hmm. So they're like, cool, go do that. And so I come back from that deployment, and then that's when I, I check in to trade it, and um, that's where I meet J.P. Donnell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and did you go straight into uh, straight into Salk, straight into CQC? Yeah. So back then, the 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 senior enlisted of the assault cell, he would like interview guys to go to assaults because mm-hmm. he was like, "Hey, if you're going to come to assaults, like we're screening you." Mm-hmm. And so I remember him coming up, talk to me while well, I was still at team one. I just got back from deployment. So like, yeah, you're going, you're going to assaults. So I ended up going to Salk, but you know, being the team guy I was, I was like, can I go to CQC too? And they're like, yeah, sure. You can do whatever. <laughs> yeah. So I was doing CQC trips, Salk trips, and it was, it was pretty cool. And, uh, you were there. Mm-hmm. That's when you were there. And then JP was the LPO at the time. Yep. Yep. Yeah. What did you learn in, uh, sitting there teaching? 
you know, so now looking back, I always tell people that trade it was actually the biggest learning experience that I ever had because it's like the ultimate leadership lab mm-hmm. because you get to watch two different styles of leadership go through and you're, you're completely detached. You have zero emotion and invested into that whatsoever. So you can armchair quarterback that stuff all day long. Um, and it, it, it was where, you know, I started realizing the, the difference in leadership. Hmm. Cause if you think about it, the talent is for the most part spread yep. out pretty evenly. Yep. You're going to have some good, yeah. some good guys. You're going to have a handful of new guys. You're going to have yeah. some E five pipe hitters. You're going to have some couple slugs. Like the boys are going to be pretty consistent most of the time. Yep. yep. You're going to get that. So yeah, it all, it all boils down to just how is the leadership? How good is the leadership? And if leadership's good, platoon's going to rock. And if the leadership sucks, we could have some problems. Yep. So that's when I started seeing that, you know, um, yeah, training is the same. And I was like, oh, okay, it really depends on that leadership, how they're going to do. Be- and it was really cool to see like the leadership that did well. It was simply because they were humble. Like you could just tell their attitude right off the bat. Yeah. Like they're like, you know, when you give them, you know, criticism or critiques or whatever, they're like, got it, got it. Whereas the platoons that did terrible, they were just like, you could just tell they had attitudes about hearing anything yep. that any feedback that you yep. had to give them and it was very blatant like the difference between the the platoons that had humble leadership and the platoons that just did not i would like take this to the nth degree in my own head because i always wanted to make sure that hey what am i doing am i doing a good job of getting through to this individual leader right and if it seems like this leader like maybe they have a big ego and they think they're a badass you know, I don't care. I, I, I always wanted to make sure that it wasn't me, that it wasn't my end. I was like, okay, you know what? The guy's got a big ego. It's okay. We want guys with big egos. Like, hey, you got to have a big ego. Let me rephrase that. There's not, you, you can't expect SEALs to not have some kind of ego. Like, hey, I know how to do this. Some level of confidence, right? You, like, so it's okay. I get it. You know, you, you, you think you're a badass. Cool. I don't want to work for someone that doesn't think they're a badass, right? Cool. Yeah. I'm good with it. Okay, let's move forward with that. But man... You'd get these guys that occasionally, again, most most of the most of the leaders are like, cool, like we're we're down. Occasionally, I remember I remember one time we had this one leader coming through Salk, and I talked to our civilian that worked there, who was a prior you know SEAL. He was actually my my TUSEA when I was platoon commander, and I said, hey bro, man, just can you do me a favor? Just check me on this. Like, just look at this guy's face when I'm putting out word, <laughs> and just give me. I go, because it seems to me like he doesn't want to hear anything from anybody. I just want to make sure I'm not totally off base, but can you just check him out? And so sure enough, like as I as I'm talking, you know, the guy be sitting there with his arms crossed and 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 again, I'm just saying, I'm not even like saying, dude, you're totally jacked up. I'm not saying anything like that. I'd say something like, Hey man, do you ever think about maybe, you know, putting some vehicles over here on this target? And you can see the guy's like arms crossed. I'm not I'm just offering a suggestion. Yeah. You know, and the dude arm cross, and yeah, we get done with that debrief, and that civilian comes up to me, and he's like, "Bro, this guy's freaking crazy," yeah. and I said, "Okay, I just wanted to make sure because it just, I guess the reason I'm saying this is because the guys in trade at, the guys in trade at, the attitude of our guys in trade at was just to try and help out our friends that are in the teams, like that are in a platoon. That that was yeah. the attitude. The attitude. There's no like, hey. I know how to do this. You don't. There was no, 
matter of fact, I wouldn't allow that kind of shit. If we had instructors like that, I would freaking pull them aside because our instructors realize like, oh, we're, these guys are our friends, they're our teammates, they're getting ready to deploy, we need to do our best to help them out. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of those guys know as much as what we know, right? So you got a guy that's got a bunch of experience, a bunch of deployments, they know as much as we know. So cool, we're not attacking them, we're not talking down to them. So my point is, if you have your friends that are trying to help you and you reject them, yeah. it's really, really bad. It's really, really bad. It's it's horrible, actually. And it'd be such a bummer to see. It'd be, it'd be such a bummer to see. Because literally, like, every guy at Tradet was just, hey, these are my friends that I'm trying to help. And if why aren't you open to us helping you, please? Yeah. Like, we don't want you to get hurt, man. So, uh, yeah, good times. This freaking um, great place to learn. Yeah, and I was like, I did that luckily when I was at SEAL Team One as a E5. I worked in our training cell, which is when the the, tr- the teams used to train themselves, and so I got to do the same thing when I was young, and that's where I learned most of my stuff was doing that. Again, sitting back, detached, watching guys go through platoons. We used to run the SQT classes in at the team, yeah. so that was really eye opening too, because now you had the young officers and. You'd watch them and think this guy can't make any decisions. Why can't he make any decisions? Oh, it's because he's shooting his weapon right now and he shouldn't be. Give him a two by four. Give him a stick. Let him get off his gun and he'll figure it out. And then you actually learn how to do that for yourself. So, yeah, if you want really want to learn something, it's really advantageous to have an opportunity to teach it as well. Yeah, that was also where I learned how to like brief and not. not I wouldn't say public speak, mm-hmm. but you know, like when you're talking to team guys. Yeah. You better be squared away, <laughs> yeah, because yeah. they are chomping at the bit. Oh yeah, to like sense any weakness uh, or attack. anything that you say that's maybe not tactically correct. <laughs> so uh, it, it's where I learned to be very deliberate about the way I spoke in public and debriefed. Yeah, and if you don't, if you don't have anything smart to say, don't say anything. And if you have a thought that you haven't thought through, either think through it or present it in such a way that it's not like an aggressive attack. That's absolutely true. You know, you're in a SEAL platoon. You don't have to be in training. You're in a SEAL platoon and you disagree with someone else. What are the chances that you're 100% right? The chances that you're 100% right are almost zero. So eventually, probably two weeks into my first platoon, I realized, oh, I'm very seldom going to be 100% right. Why don't I present ideas as if they're an idea, not some perfectly formulated, perfectly constructed notion that is 100% true. Because there's so few things that are like that. Yeah. Even the most, like I, I talk about in Leadership Strategy and Tactics, uh, the, the OIC that I had, that was awesome. He knew more than all of us combined. And he would present ideas as if they were suggestions and ideas. And he was always open to changing those ideas if somebody said something smarter. So you get to see that stuff over and over again. That's what's that's what's crazy though. You when you're working at Trade at, as you see a platoon tonight, do three, four, five runs. Another platoon do three, four, five runs, and then a few weeks later, you're going to see two other platoons with a bunch of different leadership do the same runs, basically the same runs with the same people, and the variable is the leadership. And then a few weeks after that, you get to do it again and again and again and again, and you just start to see what works and what doesn't work, and it's real obvious after a certain point. Yeah, my learning curve was very steep there. 
How long did you do a trade at? So let's see, I got there in 2008. Um, and I think around what 2010 or so, it was it was like my time to rotate out, but we had gotten a new chief in. Mm -hmm. And um, so it was time for me to go do my LPO, but the new chief that came in, I really liked him a lot. Just, just an awesome, awesome guy. And then he was just like, hey, dude, can you stay at Traded a little bit longer and then be my LPO when it's my time to go? Because I'm not going to be here very long. Yep. He's like, I want you to be my LPO. I'm just like, dude, I want to deploy, man. Like, that's a long time. He's like, okay, how about I send you on, an, on another augment? I'm like, I want the full one this time. <laughs> so we're, we're like bargaining here. I was like, I want a full deployment. And he's like, nice. okay, you got it. So I went uh, back to Afghanistan for, for another augment. Uh, it's part of the deal. So, nice. Yep. And you're getting some good operational experience on your augments. Oh yeah. When you're going over there. Yeah, absolutely. Living the dream. <laughs> yeah. It was it was really cool. Um, just to see you know watch a different team do do different things and, um, yeah, I, I learned a lot. I learned a lot from. It was the first time too where I, I kind of heard the TL like during a gunfight like just how calm and collected they were. It was just like as if nothing was happening. And then I remember that thinking about that in my head, like, I want to be like that. <laughs> you know, like, okay, cool. That's how I'm supposed to be, mm -hmm. uh, you know. So, yeah, it, it was a really good experience again. Um, and because, you know, my, my skin tone, I was able to, to help them out in ways that, you know, maybe some of the other guys couldn't. So mm -hmm. some of the targets had to be done, like, during the daytime. So we had to, like drive around in like milk trucks or something and because you know i could fit in with the populace i just get in, in like the passenger seat and be the navigation mm -hmm. guy so you're yeah. back to being a point man yeah but yeah. you're dressed but in up a car. like a local yeah. populace and you're able to pull that off yeah and and that's also because yeah so halfway through the deployment they're like hey we need we need lows back like at assaults and then i was like hey they want me back and then the team leader there was like let me call them <laughs> it's like actually we really need him over here so they let me stay the rest of the time freaking beautiful yeah uh but you end up, did you end up, did you end up then going with your chief in trade at to be his LPO? No. So uh, around that time, you, they, they sent Johnny Kim over to assaults, like just very temporarily because he was on his way to um, go to school. Mm -hmm. So he got picked up for this, this program where the Navy picks like two people out of the entire Navy. Mm-hmm. And they sent him to go get their somehow, underground. Somehow Johnny Kim slid through the cracks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So he's like explaining this this program to me, um, where basically you know they, the Navy pays for you to go to med school afterwards, and it sounded like a good deal. And at the time, you know, I was feeling really guilty. I'm like, dude, I'm just been gone a lot, and I was like feeling like I wasn't like the best father mm -hmm. to my son, even though I, I tried to spend as much time with him as possible. I always had that guilt, and then. There's a part of me that's like, you know what, maybe I should get like a normal job and, and be there for my son. And so on a complete whim, like I put in my package for that exact same program. And I'm like, dude, if Johnny Kim is getting accepted to this thing, the chances of me getting accepted are like <laughs> slim to none. <laughs> and so I'm getting ready to go back to a team with, with that chief to go be his LPO. And then I'm, I'm flying back from an assaults trip. And then he's like, hey, did you see the results? And I'm like, for what? Like I literally com completely just... I applied and just forgot about it. I'm like, dude, you got picked up for that program. <laughs> I'm like, are you serious? He's like, yeah. So I was like, well, I guess, guess I'm going to school. <laughs> Freaking crazy. Go try to be a doctor. There was a time period 
and it was this this was the time period yeah. where I'm not kidding seals had a really good reputation in the world you know and it, certainly in the navy and I man guys were getting picked up left right and center for this kind of stuff yeah so i mean that's freaking crazy and awesome yeah so what's funny is, you know, like I said, they picked two people a year out of the entire Navy, and the other guy was a team guy, too. Yeah, I, that's From my the East point. Coast. That's yeah. my point. Like, that's crazy, right? Yeah. But at that time, man, we, like, the SEALs were just doing a lot of good work. And, I mean, I'm sure that when they looked at your record, like, seriously, they looked at your record and compare that to the other applicants, I, I bet it wasn't even really that close just because of the nature of what the SEALs were doing at the time. Yeah. So, but did you have any intention of like going to medical school for however long that is? So I thought I did. (laughs) (laughs) You know. So are you a year behind Johnny? Yeah. Okay. So you're a year behind Johnny and Johnny went to USD. So I went to USD. So you went to USD. Just because I'm like, hey, I'm just going to do what Johnny did. (laughs) So, um. So for we had to go to like that that officer school mm. in, up in Rhode Island. Okay. So yep. in January of 2012, that's when I left Trade It and we went to Rhode Island, and that's where you learn how to be an officer. Do you get commissioned up there? No, or you just no, go to you the school. Yeah, you just go to the school. You don't get commissioned until you graduate from Got school. It. But that's actually where like you know they're like, oh, you gotta have blue camis. I'm like, I don't own any blue camis. Yeah. And what's funny about that? So. I didn't know. So they have the, the you know, the big blue jackets mm. and those things are expensive. They're like 350 bucks. And I'm already buying all these uniforms that I didn't have. Right. Cause I don't have any blue stuff. And neither did you're going to have to go to ROTC. Yeah. Is that what you're going to have to do? Yeah. Afterwards, but you don't have to wear blue. Oh, but you had there. to get those blue camis for the knife and fork school up in Rhode Island. Correct. Got it. So my, the other team guy that's there with me, you know, we go there and he's, he's cheap too. So he's like, I won't buy this jacket. I was like, I don't want to buy it either. I was like, screw it. Let's not buy it. You know, I don't need no jacket. You know, even though it's Rhode Island yeah. in January. <laughs> so Suck we up. form up. Yeah, we form up and I'm in my blue camis and he's on blue camis and, and you know, the, the chief the chief who's like the, the RDC or whatever he's called, you know, he's like, oh, how come you guys don't have jackets? I was like, well, you know, we didn't want to buy them because we're literally going to have them here. We're never going to use them again. And they're really expensive. He's like, well, we're all uniformed around here. So they make everybody take their jackets off. And it's it's freezing mm-hmm. cold. And then... um. He's like, we'll keep doing this until you guys buy jackets. And I told my buddy, don't you dare buy a jacket. <laughs> and he's like, okay, cool. And we were freezing cold, yeah. but we would just sit there and be like, we're not cold, but we were, we were dying. It's mm-hmm. not cold. And it got to the point where they're like, you know, people started crying in the class, like literally like, oh, we, you know, we're mm-hmm. freezing cold. So they're like, all right, change into your khakis. I was like, okay, I'll buy the jacket for the khakis. Come mm-hmm. probably, I might use that later on. Mm-hmm. So you get done with that and then you go to you go to USD. USD. Mm-hmm. University of San Diego. You're going to be doing the same, um, whatever, the same thing Johnny did. Yeah. Trying to get your pre-med knocked out. Yeah. How'd that go for you? Not well. <laughs> I'm not Johnny Kim. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm miserable. You know, I'm, I'm taking like 18 to 21 units a semester. Um, I really didn't enjoy the classes I was taking, it's like chemistry, biology, just stuff that was so boring to me. And then to top it all off, I'm, I'm doing parking services because, you know, USD is a private school mm-hmm. and the Navy only pays like, I think it was like, I don't, I shouldn't say only, they pay 10K mm-hmm. and the, the tuition at USD is like 40K a year, like 40 something K a year. So 
they're like, hey, if you do parking services, it'll pay you off the rest of your tuition. So it's a good deal. Like if you really break it down, the amount of hours that you work, it, it's a really good deal. So I'm driving around this this cart, giving people tickets at USD and bad karma, dude. <laughs> yeah. Well, I almost you know almost got into this big altercation at one point. So you know that. So this other team dude, guy, you're the worst ticket guy to mess with. <laughs> Imagine that you think you're getting in a figure to argue with some random ticket dude and it's freaking lows, bro. <laughs> well, it's you know, it's funny. It's like if I have to hear, you know, do you know who my dad is one more time? I'm just like, bro, I don't know who your dad is. I'm really sorry, but you, you know, you're parking in the handicap spot. Yeah. But at one point, um, so the parking, so it's me and another team guy. So the 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 other parking services kids, you know, they actually they're normal kids. They want going to school, and they're like, oh, if you guys want to get a lot of tickets, you gotta go down to this area right here. And it was like where the football field or the base, the uh, baseball field was, mm-hmm. you know, by the gym. Mm-hmm. You went to USD, right? I did, yeah. <laughs> so you know what I'm talking about. So my buddy. I didn't do t- ticket parking. <laughs> I, used to get, I used to put my bike in my station wagon and just, I would park off campus and just bike wherever I needed to bike home. Oh. Bike back to my car and drive home. Yep. So at one point, you know, I, we go down there and it's like, it's like the jackpot of all like violations like we got because we were having trouble meeting our quota so this other team guy and i you know the other parking services kids were like oh if you go down to this area you get lots of tickets so we go down there and we're like oh heck yeah dude there's all kinds of violations down here like we met our quota super quick and at one point i come up to this car and i you know you got to punch in the license plate to, to give them the ticket and it was like do not let like call the office immediately if you see if you get this license plate or whatever. No kidding. Yeah, so I call and I'm like, hey, this thing came up on my little gadget. And they're like, do not let that person leave. They have like nine unpaid tickets or something like that. It was an insane amount. I'm like, well, what do you want me to do? They're like, well, park your cart behind his car until the, the tow truck gets there and do not let them leave. I'm like, is that legal? Are we allowed to do that? And and uh, and they're like, yeah. So I'm like, okay. So I park my I park my cart behind this car. And the other team guy, I don't know where he took off to. Like he's gone. Mm-hmm. He he must have been finding like lots of tickets. And so I'm sitting there. I'm waiting for the tow truck. And now I see everybody getting out of football practice. <laughs> and the guy's car, the the car who's you know I'm parked behind. The owner comes and it's it's a really big dude. You know he's a football player, pretty mm-hmm. jack dude, big dude. And he's like. Hey, you need to move your cart. <laughs> and I was like, "Hey, bro, there seems to be a problem, like you know, with your ticket stuff." I'm like, "They called the tow truck, but I think if you call them, you know, and work something out." And he's like, "He's like, move your fucking cart." I was like, "I can't." You know, they told me this, and and, and now it's starting to become. And I'm really like mm-hmm. trying to be like, "Hey, bro, like, listen, I'm like the low man on the totem pole." And now the rest of the football team is coming out mm-hmm. and now they're getting fired up. And now I'm sitting there and I'm like, where the hell is this other team guy at? <laughs> it doesn't matter how good of a fighter you are. There's a bunch of them. You're going to get your ass kicked. So, and then the guy's like, move your cart now. Or I'm going to beat your ass. And I'm like, listen, bro, I really don't want that. But listen, if you put your hands on me, I'm telling you right now, I'm going to defend myself. And at that point, I'm thinking, dang it, man, this is really going to happen. And some guy comes running through them all. And then he's like, hey, do you know who this guy is? And I'm like, who is this guy? And yeah, who am I? Like, who does this guy think I am? You know, and then he's like, he's a freaking Navy SEAL. And then you just see their attitude completely. <laughs> like, oh, I'm really sorry, sir. Like, I didn't know, you know, I, and I was like, hey, bro, it's totally cool. Like, you know, I'm pretty sure if you just call, you can work something out. Turns out this guy was the running back, was a prior team guy. Oh, no shit. And he knew that the parking services guys were other team guys that were trying to, you know, pay for the rest of their tuition. 
So he saved me that day because that probably wasn't going to go down. Very pretty for me. <laughs> <laughs> and then you eventually just change to you change your major and you get out of the medical program. Yeah. So at some point, I'm just like I took a, a finance class as one of my electives, and I'm like, man, I really like this, and I really miss the teams. I don't think I want to do this medical thing. So I changed my major without telling anybody. And then when they're like, oh, so where are you going to go to med school? And I was like, oh, about that. Uh, I'm actually, I, I want to go back to the teams if that's okay. So I want to finish my degree and go back to the teams. And they were livid. Damn. They were just bro. like, teams? They're like, no, you're, you're going slow. You're going to go be a surface warfare Oh, officer. my God. So now I'm just like, I don't know what to do. So, you know, I, I make some phone calls. And they're like, that's stupid. You're not going to go be a slow. You're coming yeah. back here. The only, the only problem is you're going to have to go through the process just like everyone else. So I have to take the screener, do an interview. I'm like, yeah, that's totally fine. So I do the screener, I go do the interview, and one of the interviewers is one, my old CO from Team One. And he knows who I am, you know. Um, so I'm thinking, oh, this is gonna go great, you know. And at one point he asks me, <laughs> he's like, hey, so what are you gonna do if you don't get picked up for, for special warfare? And then um, as an officer, you know, mm-hmm. and then I sat, I was like, well, I think I'm just going to give up my commission and go back to being enlisted. And you just see everyone's head just go. Oh. <laughs> and then at that moment, just seeing the expression on their faces, I was like, oh, man, I said something I wasn't <laughs> supposed to. <laughs> and, you know, because you're supposed to say, hey, I want to be an officer no yeah, matter what. Yeah. And, and he was really cool about it. He's like, listen, Los. He knows who I am. He's like, I, I, I'm going to give you one more chance at this, okay? I'm going to give you another crack at it. That wasn't the best answer. And then I sat there, and I'm like, dang it, I might have messed this up. So I sat there for a minute and just thought about it. And then I'm like, you know what, sir? I, I know that the, the correct answer that you want to hear is like, uh, if I don't get picked up for this, I'm going to go be the best SWO or the best Submariner officer on the planet, and then I'm going to make my way back. But I'll be honest with you, I don't want to do that. I was like, I just want to be in the teams. And whether that's as an LPO, a chief, or as an officer, I was like, that's why I'm doing this. I miss the teams. I want to go back. And he's like, that's the answer you want to go with? And I'm like, yes, sir, because it's the truth. And then he's like, it's a bold move. Don't know if it's going to work out for you. <laughs> I was like, dang. But, yeah, eventually I got picked up. So um, back to the teams. So Where'd you go? What team? So <laughs> I was originally supposed to go to team five. And that old uh, chief that I was talking about, the one who wanted me to be his LPO, and then the master chief who was the SCA at Assaults, they're, they're like, hey, because they came to my commissioning. They're like, where are you going? I was like, oh, I'm going to Team 5. They're like, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> you're coming to Team 3. Boom. And I was like, well, <clears throat> you know, and they're like, trust me, we'll, we'll make it work. So some trades were made. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they gave up a couple of their JOs, send them to 5, and whoever the JO, one of the JOs was in the platoon, because they had already started work up. Damn. They sent this poor kid away when he started oh, his workups. Damn. So now I, I go in there and I'm there with all my buddies. Like I knew the LPO. I was at assaults with the LPO, the chief. This is your platoon that yeah. you get put into? You're the AOIC? The AOIC, platoon? yeah. And you just, they're all your boys? All my friends Freak. from LPO on up. Yeah. I didn't know everybody else, you know, down. But. And then cool, good. It was awesome. Yeah, the OIC. Um, so they put me in that platoon because they were like, hey, the OIC. You know, he's a really good dude. He's just a little um, 
they use the word timid. He's just kind of shy. Mm-hmm. He wasn't a very outspoken guy. And then when I heard him brief and I heard him on the radio, I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I see. Whereas like, I have no problem getting on the radio. I have no problem briefing. So we actually complimented each other very well because he was a good officer. Mm-hmm. Like he knew officer things that I did not. Right. So he showed me how to be, you know, like a ground force commander. He showed me like all the checklists, all the procedures and, and um, yeah, it, it was a, it was a good experience. And I got a lot of reps, you know, being the OIC because I was I was good on the radio, mm-hmm. so I got a lot of reps. And our our chief was a complete stud who I'd went to buds with, um, so I learned a ton from him too. He was a JTAC, so he taught me a lot about being a ground force commander. Where'd you guys go on deployment? We ended up going to uh, Altacatum. Yeah, so we were there for the double A, <laughs> just advise and assist. Mm-hmm. So there was no um, a company at that time, so we were just behind the flot, just calling in, helping them, uh, the Iraqis call in air to try to retake uh, Al-Ambar, mm-hmm. which had been retaken by, by ISIL or, you know, whatever the name yeah. of the week was for them. Yeah. And that's, uh, how's the platoon? What is the platoon doing as you're doing that? I mean, so really the only ones that are working are the JTACs. JTACs. Yeah, they're really the only ones that are working. Um but I mean, at least you're freaking killing bad yeah, guys. Yeah, so. absolutely. But we're also eating mortars mm-hmm. a lot because we can't go forward. Mm-hmm. So we're just sitting back there eating mortars. And, and at one point, uh, the mortars got really, really close to us, blew one of our Humvees up. Um, uh, as I was running towards it, this Humvee gets hit and just, just blows me on my ass. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is definitely a, a TBI so they, you know, they put me on TBI protocol for a little bit, but um, right around that time, I get an email telling me like, hey, from this chief of mine, he, now he's the SCA now, mm-hmm. he's the SCA at this point. He's like, hey, Los, you're, you know, we're gonna actually send you to Baghdad and you're gonna replace this JO as the strike cell commander. And I'm thinking like, why? Like, I don't know anything about JTAC stuff. And the JO that was there, he'd actually gone to like a JTAC school really really intelligent guy like super intelligent way smarter than me and i'm like what am i gonna do over there i don't know anything about you know and he's like and so it's funny because as i'm getting on the helo to leave he's getting there and we're crossing paths and i'm like bro why am i getting sent there like i don't know what i'm doing he's like don't worry about it dude people like you i'm just like okay he's like you're gonna be fine so you know I get to Baghdad and and I I'm getting the turnover from this JO and I could immediately see that these gen, the the general there is just not a fan of ours mm-hmm. and then through conversation um we had we had uh, we had burned some relationships there um and backtracking though when I checked into team 3 guess who my CEO is it's my first OIC <laughs> Right on, man. And you, and you want to talk about like a lack of relationship building. Um, when I show up, he was just like, hey, you're that guy that got in trouble for such and such thing. Right on. And I'm like, Freaking awesome. no, I'm like, that wasn't me. That was someone else who doesn't even look like me. Like he's a white dude, like looks nothing like me. So I'm like, way to go, man. We spent two years together. And you don't even know who I am. God, like, that's crazy. Yeah. But anyway, so back to the story, the. The relationship had definitely been strained. I could just tell by the way this this general was talking to this J.O. It was just like, he did not like us. And, you know, like I said, this J.O. was very brilliant, really knew his JTAC stuff. And so now I'm left there, and I'm thinking like, man, we got to repair this relationship. 
So that's actually the first thing I started doing. The general was a Marine Corps general. And so I was just chatting him up. He's like, hey, you know, where were you stationed? Where are you stationed at? He's like, oh, Camp Pendleton. I'm like, oh, that was my first duty station. Mm. He's like, what are you doing there? I was like, oh, I used to be an FMF corpsman. And his, yeah, his <laughs> eyes just light up. And from that point on, you know, him and I just start chatting. And then I, you know, start asking him like, hey, you know, what is it that you guys are looking for when you're looking for these, for these strikes to be approved? What can we do to help out what you guys are doing? And he's like, as a matter of fact, you know, we need this, this and that. And I'm like, check, let me see what we can do about it. And so what my job was, was I would get all these airstrikes for the next day that my platoon wanted to carry out strategically, strategic airstrikes. And I had to brief them to, to him and another general, to one and a two-star general, get them approved in a room full of colonels that were all JAGs and super risk adverse. Like they were denying a lot of the airstrikes. And that's the reason why I sent them over there. Like, hey, a lot of our stuff's getting denied. Go see if maybe you can change that up. So, so I go in there and, and I grab one of my JTACs. You know, this is actually a, a, where I had like what, another epiphany where I'm like, you know what, as a leader, I don't have to know everything. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I have someone who went to JTAC school, so I'm just going to lean on them. Because at the time, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I was really like insecure about it. Like, I'm going to go in there and just not know what to brief. So I told him, I'm like, hey, listen, I'm going to brief strategic picture, like why we're doing these airstrikes. Anything technical, you can answer that. And he was like, check. So that's how I would do my briefs. And like I said, I built that relationship with that general. So every time I briefed, you know, and they went around the corner taking taking the vote, he would always take my side. And once he was in, mm -hmm. the two-star was going to be in as well, no matter what the JAG said. So from that point on, from what I can remember, we, we got all our airstrikes approved from that point on. And it was just a simple relationship building. What, what, what had the J.O., the smart J.O., was it something he did or was it just? It was not. It was something our CEO did. Yeah. So it's just a, had a bad relationship out of the gate. Yeah. Yeah. And then he had a bad taste in his mouth, I think, team guys, on that particular mm -hmm. deployment. He, he made some some comments here and there that I caught on very quickly, mm -hmm. like, check. God. Freaking horrible. Uh, and you're, did, are you married again at this point? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so yeah. So when I was in trade, I actually met my wife. She was uh, my waitress at a very uh, classy establishment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Jack. <laughs> Called Hooters. <laughs> but uh, I went in there with a team guy, and I remember seeing her, and I'm thinking, like, oh, my God, she's gorgeous. Like, there's absolutely no way someone like that would, you know, go for someone like me. And and turns out that I had gone a couple of dates with one of her friends. So she had told so she told her friend, she's like, oh, you know, I saw that, that guy. He sat at my table that you were dating. She's like, oh, we're not dating anymore. She was like, do you care if I get his number? She's like, no. Hell so yeah. so that's how we ended up um, meeting. And so at this point, she, you know, we've been together for a while since trade it. And mm -hmm. now I was already, you know, at, at my OIC. And she was just like, hey, you need to marry me. If you don't marry me before this deployment, I'm not going to be here when you get back. So ultimatum delivered. <laughs> Check. And, 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 you know, it was a hard decision for me because – I was like, man, I love this woman, but we, we, you know, we fought a lot. And during that deployment, that one to, to Iraq, our relationship was very, very stressed. During and that you had time. just gotten married before you went on deployment? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, I'm going to fail at this marriage thing again. Like, what am I, what, what am I doing wrong here? And what's crazy is like when I was at Trade, you know, you talked about the, the, the four laws of combat a lot. And we talked about like, find what your red flags are. And in the teams... My red flag when I got overwhelmed was 
you know, when that thought came in my head, like, I don't know what to do right now, that was my cue to detach, prioritize and execute. Mm-hmm. And for the longest time, I thought that these four laws of combat, this, this ocean was only combat related. And it was the first time in my life where I realized that it's for your personal life too. Because at that point, you know, I got back from deployment. We're, we're still fighting a lot, but I'm like, man, I love this woman. I don't want, I don't want to fail at this marriage thing again. And in my head, I thought, I don't know what to do right now. And that's when it clicked for me. Like, wait a minute. I've had this thought like literally hundreds of times when I'm on training missions where I'm like, oh, I'm a little overwhelmed. I don't know what to do right now. Detach, prioritize, execute. And so at that point, I'm like, I need to detach, prioritize, and execute in my personal life. Mm-hmm. And it was at that point in my life where I decided to, to start taking ownership of, of my mistakes and realize that, you know what? I'm an imperfect human being too. And I stopped concentrating on everything that I thought was a flaw on her part and just started concentrating on how I could become a better husband. So I'm like, hey, you know what? This is what I do wrong, and this is how I can fix it. I have no control over her attitude. I have no, the things that I don't have control over, I stopped worrying about them, and I started concentrating on the things that I could control. And at first, it was a little bit of a campaign, because you could tell that she was like, what are you doing? (laughs) And And then it got to the point where she started doing the same thing. Like we just started taking ownership of our parts of the marriage and I stopped worrying about what she did wrong and only worried about what I was doing wrong. And she, eventually she started to, to do the same and, and our marriage has completely turned around since then. And, you know, it's all marriage. You got peaks and valleys, but it's it's been just amazing. Hmm. Kind of like when you're in a platoon, like where everybody's taking ownership of stuff. For no sure. one's blaming anybody else. We're just trying to solve problems. Yep. And that's how that environment finally was in my marriage. So, yeah, it's it's funny when you talk about like when you're in a platoon and everyone starts taking ownership stuff, you know, problems get solved. What's crazy is the opposite of that. It's not one level of badness when people aren't taking ownership because when they're not taking ownership, they're blaming each other. So it's not just, oh, we're going to blame each other. And that's (laughs) that's not good. That's not good. But guess what else is coming? Now we're fighting. We're yelling at each other like it causes exponential problems beyond just. It's not just, oh, if I take ownership, the problems get solved. If I don't take ownership, the problems don't get solved. If it was that simple, it'd be like, you probably deal with it. But if now we actually are fighting, we're undermining each other, we're yelling at each other, we, we, we turn into freaking idiots. And so, yeah, we, and that can happen in people's personal lives too. You know, yeah. you, it's not just that, oh, well, we've got this problem in our marriage and it's not my fault, it's your fault. If that's where it stopped, you might be able to muddle your way through it, but that's not where it stops. Yeah. It stops when you say, it's your fault. And they go, what do you mean it's my fault? <laughs> Actually, here's some nine things that are your fault. And, but all of a sudden we have not just one little problem that's not getting solved. You have exponential problems across the board. It's a freaking disaster. Yeah, it's a game changer. Um, now you came back from that deployment and you actually did a couple years where you were doing some, uh, some classified stuff um, overseas, and obviously we can't talk about things that are classified, um, but maybe some unclassified lessons learned from what you were doing? Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing that I learned while I was over there is is how to build relationships. Mm-hmm. 
And honestly, I got I got really into it, and I started trying to perfect that craft by reading books. So I started reading books like um, How to Win Friends and Influence People, uh, The Like Switch, like anything I could help get my hands on because I knew that when I was over there, it was just going to be me and one other operator. That's it. We didn't have like a support system. We didn't have a platoon. That was That was us. So we had to build a good relationship with like the local populace in a very short amount of time. Um, we had to build a good relationship with our interpreter. I, and that's really, honestly, when it boils down to it, our lives depended on these relationships because at times you're asking some of these people to risk their lives for you. And so that's where I really started delving into how do I get people to trust and like me to the point where I can influence them in the shortest amount of time. That's really the biggest lesson I got out of those two years from doing that that mission set. Yeah. Well, that's and that's something that applies across the board. You know, it's funny when you were talking about the switch going off in your head of like, oh, I can use this. That's the same thing that happened. That's what started all this stuff. I went and talked to these freaking executives about leadership. They started asking me questions and I was just applying the principles, the four laws of combat, take ownership. Like that's what I started. And it was 30. It was the first question I got asked. I was like, oh, oh, you have this problem. Okay, here's how you solve it just based on the principles that we already know. Yeah. It's like a freaking, such a nice moment in my life where I was like, <laughs> oh, because I didn't, again, I didn't, I was totally institutionalized. I didn't understand. I didn't know anything about civilian companies. I didn't know anything at all about them. And all of a sudden I realized in an instant that, oh, all this stuff applies to all these leadership situations, man. And that's the same thing, going back to building relationships. It's like, oh yeah, guess what? Have you ever had a moment in your life where having an antagonistic relationship with someone you got to work with helps? It's like that, 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 that has never happened to anybody ever. It's yeah. never happened. Where, oh, I don't get along with this person and I have to work with and it's beneficial to me. Doesn't happen. So why are you not focused on getting to build relationships with people? It's freaking crazy. But good lessons. Um, you come back from that and you go back to trade it again, right? Yeah, I go back to trade it as the XO this time. Damn, XO a trade it. Yeah. What are you? Are you a lieutenant now? I'm a JO still. A JG? A JG, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah, because I did my, so I, because I didn't have to go through buds yeah, and everything I else, I did my first deployment as an ensign. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm a JG now. And um, because I'm prior enlisted, and I knew the CEO there at the time who's mm -hmm. also a prior enlisted guy, because mm -hmm. actually him and I had done a deployment. To, they, we'd done that Iraq deployment together. Okay. At Team One. And he was like, yeah, come on over. I was like, you know, I, I need to do a disassociated tour because <laughs> they were like, you need to, because I was like, hey, can I go back and do my platoon commander? Yeah. And they were like, no. They're like, you need to get away from it for a little bit because, you know, they have like a limit on how much time you could be deployed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they're like, dude, you're like right there. You need to, you need to go somewhere and take a knee. So I'm like, trade it sounds good. I really like, I really enjoyed my time there. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to go back. And then yeah. you're doing the XO billet, which is not quite as fun as doing the. It's not. Definitely not as fun as being. It's a not freaky. what I thought it was going <laughs> to yeah. be. So the, the CEO actually gets the funner job. For sure. Because he's actually going to the training yeah. trips and debriefing. As the XO, you're dealing with yeah. everything admin. else the admin stuff, the disciplinary problems, getting all the, t the meetings at group. So. Yeah. Yeah. You were. I, man, <laughs> my, my career was such a freaking. I was just so lucky and everything. Like when I went there, I was just the just the OIC, you know. So just getting, just going out and training trips and freaking awesomeness. Um, at what point? So how many years do you have in at this point? This is like 2018. So you're coming up on 20. 
Yeah. Is this when you start thinking about maybe doing something else? Yeah, so I mean, um, I figured I had the time. So I'm like, hey, I'm gonna go knock out my MBA. I always really enjoyed business. And then uh, through conversations, they were like, hey, after this, they were like, you can't do your your, um, your OIC. OIC until like 2024 or something like that. And I'm like, well, what am I gonna do until then? Like you do more disassociated tours. And I'm like, you know what? That doesn't sound interesting to me. So I think I'm just gonna retire. I mean, at that point, I was going to hit 20. Um, so I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go get my MBA and um, and punch out, retire. Mm-hmm. So that's at that point where I started looking into MBA programs and, and trying to see where I was going to go. Then you end up going back to USD. No. Is that right? No, I went to UCLA. Oh, you went to UCLA. Yeah. Yeah. It was funny about that is I was really set on like getting an M7 school. You know, like the the Magnificent yeah, Seven. Right. So I'm like, I'm only going to go to like Wharton or Booth or MIT or one of those. And so those are the only ones I applied to. And then I realized that the GI Bill doesn't cover those because they're private schools. Hmm. Even though like some of them actually had lower tuition than UCLA. And at that point, I had a, a really good friend of mine, one of my best friends. If you look at his resume, it looks almost exactly like mine, like FMF Corman, <laughs> uh, you know, Teams. USD finance degree. <laughs> and then he's like, hey, bro, I'm, I'm actually going to go to UCLA. And I'm like, why is that? And then he's like, dude, your GI Bill pays for it because it's a public school. And I, I struggled with that for the a little GI bit. GI Bill doesn't cover private schools? It only covers like a small portion. Okay. I was still going to have to take out like a six-figure yeah. a six-figure student loan. And I've always been pretty frugal about my money. I'm like, mm-hmm. dang, I don't want to take out this huge loan. And then I kind of went into thought, I'm like, why do I want to go to one of these schools? Like, why do I really want to go? And at some point I realized, I just want people to think I'm smart. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we really, we really like, you know, boiling it down in this most simple form. I just want people to think I'm smart. And I'm like, you know what? I think I have enough to get to where I want to go if I go to UCLA. So I would drive up to, to LA every weekend to go to school there and, and knock out my MBA. And then from there, you... You went into investment banking, right? Yeah, yeah. I ch- so I knew that I, I you know, like, wait, what do you what do you do after an MBA? Like, oh, everybody does investment banking or um, or consulting. Mm-hmm. And I always really liked finance. And then my, my my buddy, I was telling about Kyle Roy. When I told him we got exact same resume, he's like, dude, I'm gonna go be an investment banker. I'm like, cool, I'm gonna go be an investment <laughs> banker too. <laughs> so um, is he like a year ahead of you or something? No, we're in the same class, but he actually knew how to do it. So he actually got in. So there's a cycle to it. And I didn't know that. So when you first get to your MBA program, literally the second you step on campus, you're already recruiting for it. You're already recruiting for the the internship for that summer. Mm-hmm. And then you go to your second year. And after you graduate your second year, you start full time. However, by the time I figured it all out, I was already on my second year. Mm. So I was a year behind. And so nobody really wanted to deal with me because it wasn't the traditional path. So I just started reaching out to people on LinkedIn, like sending them my resume. And I would put in like whatever bank, US, uh, like I would put uh, Air Force veteran, Marine Corps veteran. I'm like, dude, if anybody's gonna answer me, it's gonna be a veteran. Got it. And that's how I started getting in was like a veteran from these banks. They would start reaching out, you know, they saw my resume and they're like, I think they were intrigued. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the, the Navy SEAL part kind of stands out. I'm not going to lie. I tell you, that's, that's definitely what got my foot in the door because mm-hmm. some of these other people, it's an extremely competitive job. And some of these people, A, way smarter than me, and B, had like a legitimate pedigree in the finance world. Mm-hmm. And so 
Meanwhile, you were exo straight at <laughs> Yeah. So I told my wife. You're a good point, man. Jack. <laughs> yeah, I told my wife. I'm like, dude, when I go to these meet and greets, because it's like a million meet and greets, because it's extremely competitive. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, it's, it's so competitive. Um, and especially in L.A., because in L.A., there's a lot less slot. Like if you go to New York, there's a ton of slots in New York. But everybody wants to be warm weather, so everybody's like trying to apply to go to L.A. And I told my wife, I'm like, when I go to these meet and greets, like all these people, they're just ridiculously smart. I was like, it's pretty intimidating. And then we had this one interview process where they actually take you in with your other competitors. So it's like you and two other people that you're competing with. And then you go and you interview with these bankers. And these these, these interviews were like three hours long. Like you would do half an hour with this banker and then half an hour with this banker. And that's when I realized that I belong there that I could, that I had a shot because the very first, that, that interview process wasn't technical at all. Mm-hmm. It was all about leadership. Mm-hmm. So when they start coming up with these questions, like, tell me about a time where this happened. Mm-hmm. I'm like, cool. I have a story for that. <laughs> I have a story for everything. And, um, it was cool. Cause I would tell my story and then the guy next to me would tell his story. And, and it literally got to the point where I'm not even kidding you in, in the interview, the guy next to me was like, I really hate going after him. Mm. What am I supposed to say after that? <laughs> <laughs> so that's when I'm like, oh, I got a shot. And you ended up getting hired. Yeah, I ended up getting the internship. So the internship's like, you know, nine weeks long. It's mm-hmm. basically like a nine week interview. It was legit. Like mm-hmm. you're, you're working your ass off. It's grind. Yeah, it's a grind. And then you had another year of school to complete? No, because I had actually started my second year. Got it. So I. So you got, so your internship went right into job. Yeah. And that was actually one of the, the, the things where I used. Did you finish school when you were in, did you finish school when you were in still in? Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. And then when did you do that nine week internship? Did you leave? Damn. Yeah. I was already on my way out. Yep. It was like, um. So like getting close to terminal leave or yeah, whatever. Exactly. I I had saved all my leaves yeah. specifically for 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 you know me getting out. Got it. And so I used it all up then, and uh, I got hired, and they let me start right away because, you know, I didn't have another year of school. So, and then I retired. And then how'd you like how'd you like the uh, investment banking world? Uh, I liked I liked a lot of it, and I didn't like other parts of it. Um. I really liked the mergers and acquisitions. Mm-hmm. So that's what we did. We did mergers, acquisitions, and then leverage buyouts. And we were dealing with big, because I, I got hired with a big bulge bracket bank. So we were working on like some big deals. And it was exciting. It was cool. It was interesting. It just wasn't cool for 18 to 20 hours a day. <laughs> like I worked long days. It was like an early night was midnight. But most of the times I'm, you know, I'm building PowerPoints and Excel models till three, four in the morning. Those times where I didn't sleep at all. Mm-hmm. Like our presentation was due at like 5 a.m. And I turned it in at 5 a.m. Where were you working out of? So home because it was Cause during it was COVID. COVID. Yeah. So I didn't have to move up to L.A., which is good because my wife didn't want to move up there. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were set on moving up there. And, but it, it was every time we drove up there to look at places, the drive home would be very quiet because we could just tell that neither of us wanted to move up there. But it worked out for me because, like I said, it was COVID, so they were like, hey, we're going to be virtual, you know, for the time being. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think when I realized, like, I don't want to do this long term is when I saw the managing directors that had been there for a while. Like, I would finish a presentation, you know, and it's like four in the morning, like, hey, you need to call them. 
I'm like, it's four in the morning. Like, you need to call the managing director. To make, he has to look over that PowerPoint before we turn it in. And I'm like, dang, so I guess this never stops. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was, and I had had a couple TBIs throughout my career. <clears throat> so my migraine, because I wasn't, there was literally nights where I wouldn't go to sleep at all. I'd roll right into the next day. And then my migraines were starting to get more uh, frequent and staring at a screen like all day long. And I'm like, this isn't going to be a long-term play for me, but I'm going to tough it out, um, you know, for the two or three years or whatever you got to be to make VP and then move on to something else. And I didn't realize that the job offers were going to start rolling in so quickly. So like once the job offers, like recruiters started reaching out to me, I'm like, I'm going to start looking elsewhere. And um, around that time is, you know, JP had been talking to me about Echelon Front now for for about a year, like mm -hmm. even when I was in trade day, he's like, hey, you thought about coming over here? And, and I was I was interested, but I, I just never materialized, you know? And I just went down my path and I told him, hey, JP, this is actually what I, I'm, I'm doing now and I'm kind of all in on it. And so it's around that time, I'm, I'm already looking at moving to different firms. I've already got a couple that I'm pretty close to, to signing with. And, and then uh, JP calls me one day and he's like, hey bro, uh, we have a client who, you know, about 50% of his employees speak Spanish. And I, I told him we could deliver. <laughs> I was like, you did? <laughs> He's like, well, yeah, I got you. Because <laughs> he knew I was fluent in Spanish. Right. And I was like, bro, you ever seen office space? I was like, that's my life. I have seven bosses, Bob. You know, so you're I'm on seven different deals. And for each deal, I have to get approved. I mean, granted, some of them are, are you know, have some spillover. So there's I'm working with, you know, managing director for two or three different mm -hmm. deals. So. I'm like, dude, it's going to be so hard for me to get a day off. Like, it's going to be near impossible. And he's like, bro, I really need this. And I'm like, all right. You know, you know JP's one of my brothers. Like, I, I love JP to death. So I'm like, let me see what I can do. So I put in the time for two personal days. And by the way, a personal day, if, it's funny when you get the email that says, this is what a personal day looks like. You will check your email, you know, like six times during that day. And if you need something, you will answer it. So it's not really like a personal day. You're still freaking working. <laughs> So I'm like, I took two personal days to come out and, and help him out with this FTX. And um, so I would literally, you know, teach all day long. And then I pulled an all-nighter trying to catch up on all the work that I missed throughout the day. So I didn't sleep for like those three days that I was there. Um, but it was cool because I, I showed up and it was this construction company. And when I showed up, I could tell that that some of the guys weren't happy to be there. And not because they're you know lazy or anything they just wanted to go to work mm -hmm. they're hard-working people you know so they're like they want to be working instead of being in this leadership course mm -hmm. and so let's see i think i think it was a thursday yeah it was a thursday where the first day of class started and we split the, the class in two because they had so many people that we were going to teach one class one day and then the other group that's next day and on saturday we did like a debrief tying it all back into their business mm -hmm. so day one i'm teaching I could see it that, you know, they'd rather be working than be there. One of their foremen who, you know, it's like one of their rock star foremen shows up late. Like, same thing. He's like, man, I'd rather be working right now. You don't want to be there. And then at the end of the day, I, I noticed the switch. Like, they, I could tell that they were enjoying themselves and they, they were learning stuff and it was clicking. The light bulbs were coming on. And at the end of the day, this foreman, he comes up to me. He's like, hey, man, I'm really sorry that I showed up late. Can I come back tomorrow and do it all over again? I was like, it's fine with us as long as your your boss is cool with it. And he's like, okay. So he comes back the next day, you know, and, and does the full day of training with Echelon Front. And um, on the third day, 
when I heard the debrief points and the impact that it made. I mean, some of these debrief points, it was like emotional. <laughs> like it was like legit. And I was like, wow, like you guys are doing something really great here. Um, and I felt good about it. You know, their CEO was just, just cared so much. He's a super, super intelligent guy, very caring, very humble. And it was just a pleasure talking to him and, and seeing how much he cared about his team and his people and then seeing how these other people appreciated, now really started to appreciate the fact that he did this for them, like was trying to develop them as leaders because he cared about them, he cared about the company. And I told JP, I'm like, man, that felt good. <laughs> I haven't felt good about what I was doing for work for a, for a while since I left the teams. And, um, and that's when I was like, okay, let's have a serious conversation of what this could possibly look like for me joining EF. So, so here you are. Yeah. You know that that little um, <clears throat> the little obstacle that you get over with, and I obviously I've been doing this for a, uh, a long time now. But there's a little obstacle with some people when they show up for training, and the obstacle is well, I, well there's there can be several of them, but one of the biggest obstacles is they don't yet understand that leadership is a skill, mm-hmm. and that it's something that they use. And it's something that they can actually learn and get good at. And it doesn't take very long in those sessions where people go, oh, wait, that's me. Oh, wait, I could use that. And all of a sudden they realize this is going to make my life so much better. And it's going to yeah. make my team's life so much better. And that that is so gratifying to see that. And what's really awesome is when you look up in three months, six months, or a year and now you see where that company is and they their trajectory that that changes for a company and how they elevate and move forward man it's freaking it's very very rewarding to say the least yeah every time i do another job i'm just just solidifies that decision for sure it's weird uh were you thinking cuz cuz the first gigs that you did was teaching ftx which is like our field training exercise yeah. which is <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm JP, and I've talked about this. Where I'm like, "Hey, JP, people don't—they don't need to really like know how to clear a room." <laughs> yeah, it's just—it's funny. Almost the human instincts that you have of how you would clear a room are good enough to do the FTXs. Sure. It's not about teaching people how to, you know the tactics of combat. It's just—it's about teaching them leadership. But it's funny, like even the plans they come up with. Like we give them a target, their plans are like. Perfectly fine. They're perfectly fine. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, sometimes they're not that great. Sometimes they make mistakes. But a lot of times it's like, yeah, you know what? That's that. That would work. That would work on this target for real. And these are people that are civilians. Cause, let's face it, hitting a target of bad guys, there, it's not rocket science. It's not rocket yeah. science to figure out what you're gonna do. And we give them enough basics that they can figure it out. But for me. You know, the, the leadership laboratory that we got to work in when we were actually in and actually at Trade It and actually seeing platoons go through, that is such a powerful thing because, man, when you are in those situations, you feel it. And when you, like you think, oh, I'm good at detaching, and then you go on a run where you're freaking <laughs> yelling and screaming, and you, you know, and you say, oh, how was that detachment on the last run? As you were yelling and screaming at, at everybody and shooting your weapon a bunch and not, and no one took charge of anything, so obvious. When you actually experience it and you learn that lesson so much more thoroughly when you actually experience it, it's 
freaking awesome to watch. Yeah, absolutely. I've had messages like on on Instagram or LinkedIn where people have gone through our training. It's like, hey, I had this situation at work and I thought about that time where you took the gun away from me and told me to lead. You know, because when they're not detached and they're just getting after it with their gun, but they're actually in charge. Like every now and then I'll, I'll, I'll take their gun away. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, lead. Yeah. Now you can lead because you don't have the gun. And, and and so, you know, they'll, they'll write back like, I remember the time you did this to me or you said this to me. And, and I say that at, at the FTXs. I'm like, hey, you know, going through that pain <laughs> actually solidifies that lesson way more. And it's like Bruce Lee says, the pain will leave you when it's done teaching you. <laughs> it's one of my favorite quotes. Um, and I tell people that too, like in my brief in the morning, I'm like, hey, we're not here to teach you leadership. I mean, we're not here to teach you tactics. We're here to teach you leadership. And in the absence of knowledge, because you don't have any you know, knowledge doing this, what do you have to lean back on? Your leadership, which is simply you trying to influence another 25 people towards a common goal. So you're going to have to use all those tools that we've, you know, talked about. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the groups that do the best are the ones that are able to apply it immediately. Like they make that connection. And the ones that struggle are the ones that, that you know, can't seem to do that. You know what's interesting? I was just thinking about this um, from a jujitsu perspective. How long have you been training jujitsu for? Since 2012. 2012. On and off. Lots of off. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what's interesting is young people, like you take a normal dude. Yeah. And you say, hey, what did that doesn't train? And you think, hey, if you get in a fight, what would you do? And they kind of like, they kind of think, what is it that the, hey, I just see red, bro. <laughs> you know, I'll go off, bro. Like, that's kind of what they think. They think that that is how they're going to fight. And that's how they would win in a fight. Like, hey, I'll just freaking make it happen. And that's totally ignorant. That's one of the most ignorant things you could say. And if you go against someone that's trained, then you're absolutely going to lose. But there's also a really good chance you'll lose anyways. Imagine this, there's people that, go, that are in leadership positions that their mentality is that exact same thing. Hey, oh, if I'm in charge, I'll tell people, I'll handle it. And, and they could literally learn jujitsu for leadership. We have jujitsu for leadership. It's like an amazing untapped knowledge that like the Gracies, the Gracies brought jujitsu to the world. And all of a sudden people are like, oh, I can choke people. I don't, I can defeat someone that's bigger than me. I can avoid getting hit. Like there's all these amazing things that we literally did not know as humans. We did not know. And if you would've gotten a fight in, if I would've gotten into a fight in 1990 or 1991, I would like do what my instincts are, throw haymakers, whatever, like whatever it is a human, is gonna do is what I would do. And then all of a sudden, as soon as I learned, oh, the joke, the arm, like all of a sudden you know what to do. And now you can handle all these situations. And it's the same thing with what we teach. It's like, oh, this isn't some, this isn't some mysterious thing. Like here's, oh, this is an arm lock. It's called cover and move. Here's uh, taking the back. This is keeping things simple. You can actually learn maneuvers for leadership. And that's what hits people when they're going through our programs. You can see it in their face. They're like, oh, oh, I remember when a guy was doing this to me and all I had to do back was was diminish, you know, demit, reflect and diminish. I could have taken that angry person and reflected some of those emotions but diminished them and then I could reflect it in such a way that they would realize that I'm on their side and then we'd be able to have a real conversation and move this thing forward. That's one move. There's all these moves you can learn. And man, it's just like, this, you know what? It's actually the same look when somebody does jujitsu in whatever moment, because different people get it at a different time. 
that moment where they go, oh, this is amazing. Like, oh, it all makes sense. I think it's sometimes when people realize that, you know, oh, and then you sweep them and you're in the mount and they go, oh, it all's connected. <laughs> you see that look in their eyes and I see that look in their eyes. That's what you're talking about. Like the guy that you're talking oh, yeah. about that came back at the end of the day like, hey, can I come tomorrow? Because he realized that it's all connected, that leadership is a skill, that he could actually utilize these tools to go out there and lead his team with, with skills and with techniques and with procedures, moves. Man, it's freaking empowering. Legit. Um, And that's where you're at right now. Yeah. We just went through your whole damn life, bro. Yep. That's pretty impressive. We'll have to, uh, I know there's, I know you had some, uh, some stuff that you wrote down for me that we didn't cover today that we'll probably cover on <laughs> cover on the next time as you know get a little bit more granular on some of these things that you experience for sure um, but probably a pretty good place to wrap it up mm-hmm. of course echo probably has some questions at this point I'll, I'll keep got, it what I'll got questions it, I'll, I'll keep it simple uh, have you ever heard that you look like Oscar De La Hoya? Every day of my life since it's, I was 16. I understand Damn. completely as a matter of fact in my platoons they already knew it was coming and so when we would go out, like, you know, people would be like, hey, is that? And they would be like, yep, there is. <laughs> yep, where is security? Yeah, they, that's what they would say. 100%. And uh, just just not, not too long ago, I was in New York, and I was with my wife, and this guy comes up to me. He's like, hey, man, I still think pound for pound you're the best. <laughs> and then she's like, are you going to correct him? And I'm like, I'm tired of correcting yeah, people. But then it's like more people started coming. I'm like, hey, guys, I'm, I'm not Oscar. <laughs> like the, the buff version of Oscar De La Hoya. The jacked like, version. Oh, yeah. The jacked oh, version. Yeah. I've gotten that forever. <sighs> yeah, that is an uncanny resemblance. I uh, Yeah, who do you look like, Echo Charles? Jade. Too easy, bro. You've been asked that one before. <laughs> That was too easy. Got that twin brother. Uh, yeah, man, like I said, we'll dig into some more of this stuff in the future. Probably a good place to wrap it today. Um, Sounds good. Echo Charles. Yes, sir. Sounds like it kind of seems like Carlos has gotten a lot done. Yes, he has. I'm thinking maybe we should all uh, do more. What do you think? We should do Where more. do we start? Well, you mentioned jujitsu. Mm, what a good place to start. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, we want to do What are you, jiu-jitsu? a purple belt? Yeah. Purple it's belt. 2012, it's 21, it's nine years. When did you get your purple belt? Just recently. Yeah, but off and on, that's out. Yeah, I was on deployment a lot, and and then I would I bounced around a couple schools, and um, I'm training actually with your buddy, Aaron Hernandez. Oh, right on. Dude, he's oh, awesome. Freaking Aaron. awesome. His, his, yeah, he, he's, he's awesome. You you know, like, I started, he started training that when we were at Fabio Santos. He was like yeah. 10 years old, yeah, man, he a showed me kid. pictures. <laughs> I want to see those pictures, bro. Yeah. That's I'll, freaking I'll rad. Him. What, yeah. yeah. He's awesome, man. His dad like would just come. I, I, his a lot of times nowadays you see like the dads all into jujitsu, and that's why the kids are there. Yeah, almost against their will. It didn't seem like Aaron's dad was into it, but he's like, "Oh, this is what my kid wants to. Cool, I'm gonna sit here every day, you know, for two hours on the bench waiting for my kid to get done with this whatever this weird stuff is that he's doing." Yeah, freaking legit. So what's that? 2012. So you're almost 10 years deep. Yeah. yeah, got that that's purple belt. Underachieving that's purple belt. It happens. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, even life was like that too, right? Yeah. Dude, like life was, was a life was a white belt, bro. I started training those guys in two thousand five, but actually, he had trained before that. Hmm. Life had trained at Fabio's. Oh no kidding! Before two thousand five. Yeah. So life was like white belt for, 
I mean, long time. Yeah, long time, as we used to say in Hawaii. Right? <laughs> long, <laughs> long time. Yes, sir. Long time. I was perfectly happy at Blue Belt. Yeah. Aaron, Aaron was like, bro, I got it. He got to. He got to like, do, it, do it, it to you. Yeah. yeah, blue belt is the only blue belt is the last chance you have to be under the radar. Yeah, because once you're a purple belt, <laughs> nah, you, people expect you, there's a yeah. there's yeah you you can get tapped. You can literally get tapped by a white belt as a blue belt, and it's not that big of a deal, right? right. You're kind of like, well, you know, I'm just a blue belt. Mm. Just a blue belt. It covers a lot of ground. <laughs> I was a blue belt for a long time too. I was a blue belt because I was a blue belt. I got my blue belt in San Diego, but then I moved to Virginia Beach. And I mean, dude, and I was training. When I was in San Diego, I was training all the time. And then when I got to Virginia Beach, I did a couple deployments, so I wasn't training as much. But even when I was on deployment, I would train with the boys. Hmm. But I was still a blue belt. So it was years. I think I was a blue belt for like, I want to And then when I got back to San Diego, Fabio, you know, I had to like re-earn my wrist. It was like, I, it was like when I wasn't at Fabio's, He's. I wasn't training. Yeah. He's like, whatever. Hey, I don't know where you were. <laughs> yeah. You might have gotten better, but it doesn't yep. count. We're starting where you left off. Yeah, we started where I left off mess. with him. <laughs> so funny. it took me another, another probably. I think I was a blue belt for like five years. Yeah, blue belt, mm-hmm. and I, I never buy my wife anything, like hardly ever. The poor woman. <laughs> But when I got my purple belt, when I got my purple belt, mm. I got a, I went to a flower store and got a purple <laughs> flower of some kind or like five purple flowers uh-huh. and brought them up. That's, I was so stoked that I wanted my wife to be kind of stoked too to get that purple belt. That's good. But, and, and I was ready for it too. Like, I mean, when I got my purple belt, I was ready for that purple belt. I had somebody who got their black belt the other day. A friend of mine got their black belt the other day. He's like, oh, I'm not ready for it. I was like, no one feels like they're ready for their black belt. Yeah. No one, almost no one, right? Yeah. Maybe you just won worlds or whatever. Yeah. But you're not just like, oh, yeah. I forget who it was. I think it might have been Clark Gracie. Mm-hmm. I think I, I could be wrong, so whatever. Um, but it was the kind of where he, he was winning everything mm-hmm. as a brown belt, everything. Mm-hmm. And, he, and I think he was like, I don't know if it was a coach or whatever. Someone was kind of like, oh, wait, is he doing that just so he can win a bunch? And someone was like, bro, like he, he can't compete as a brown belt anymore. It's like someone has to give him yeah. his black belt. Yeah. Like that's that's the only exception I could ever think of. Yeah, well, Dean List won ADCC as a brown belt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, huh? Yeah, but via submission, by the way. Absolute, by the way. <laughs> so uh, so we're thinking jiu-jitsu is good. Yes, jiu-jitsu is good. Fitness is good. Carlos uh, in great shape, you know. Mm-hmm. And always good to see. So we got some healthy, uh, how should I say, healthy. We want to go in a healthy direction, mentally, physically. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to talk about energy drinks first because that's, you know, kind of what mm-hmm. we do from time to time. So we got Jocko Discipline Go Energy Drink, healthy energy drink, by the way, if you didn't know, Carlos. I do. Those things power the FTXs. I know. That <laughs> <laughs> was like a softball. What do you call it? rhetorical kind of question, yeah. right? Because I know, I know, you know, about the the the, the discipline goes scenarios. Um. So yes. Yeah, so yeah, we we will drink energy drinks now as long as it's this kind. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Because the other kind, bad is bad. Literally, it's it's a dichotomy. Well, this kind completely bad for you. Legitimately yeah. bad for you, yeah. and this isn't like oh well, Jocko's trying to sell his energy drink. No, right. I'm telling you, those other energy drinks are factually, factually. bad for you. Yeah. We have one that is factually good for you. Yes, sir. Factually, you know that there's a. Uh, I don't know the service, but you can do it online. I was gonna do it for a video. I was gonna make a long time ago before all this, where you can make your own energy drink. 
like if you want oh you know carlos extra thunder energy drink or whatever and you can kind of pick a flavor and then like they'll design the thing or you can design the thing and then you just get it but it's all like the similar like if you want cherry blast or whatever i don't know what you'd call it but if you get like a cherry flavored one it's like the same cherry flavored as like you know jocko cherry blast Mm. i would do lemon lime los You know what's interesting is you might you might think yourself, and this good is good because you you did the investment banking thing for a while. And did you guys take any companies public? So actually, during my internship, I worked okay. on an IPO. Yeah, it's interesting because we we work with a bunch of public companies, obviously. But you might think to yourself, like, hey, well, why doesn't everyone just make you know a, a energy drink that's good for you? You think that right? Like, right. hey, well, that just seems like that seems like a good idea. Yeah. And here's the deal: it's more expensive. It's more expensive and it's going to cut into your profit. And as soon as you get into a point in a company where you're like, oh, we, we want to do the right thing and make the best product and we are not going to make as much money. There's like armies of people that tear you apart and say, no, just freaking make more money. It's the same. Yeah. It's the same thing with, you know, with our hard goods, with our clothing. Yeah. The, as soon as you get to a point oh, you, where you can make jeans, oh, we're making jeans. As soon as someone goes, hey, we could shave 48 cents off the price per pair of those jeans, oh, yeah. there's an army of people that say, do it. They sell. They say, sell your soul. That's what they say. And it works. Of course. It, I mean, it, it works. Makes sense. Think about it, too, especially the more you sell, right? Where, okay, I'm going to do this. Oh, we're going to shave 48 cents. When you're selling like 10 pair or 10 whatever it's like 40 cents it's like what four dollars like mm-hmm. i'd rather keep my integrity yep. but once the numbers start going so, way up there and 48 cents means like another like i don't know half a million dollars for you or whatever yeah. you're like oh i think that 48 cents uh, you know so it's, it's a literal it. selling of the soul literal literal selling, selling of the soul stuff. man because like this is pasteurized right which means we don't have to put chemicals in it which by the way this is chemicals that everybody uses they yeah. all throw them in there. Hey, right. that's not that bad. Right, right. It's not that bad. Yeah. Yeah. Sell your soul. We'll say industry standard. Yeah. You know, it's so the industry it's, standards. Yeah, you yeah. kind of shrug your shoulders and be like, well, yeah. you know, that's the way everyone's doing it. Well, there's certain like toxins, right? Where like the FDA is like, well, you just keep them below this level. Mm-hmm. And technically it's like it, it's legal or whatever. It's like considered not harmful or whatever. Yeah. What if you pound like three of those every day? Right, it's big, crazy. Big trouble. Big trouble. Nonetheless, not with these. Obviously, it's good. So yeah, get on some of that. That'll help mm-hmm. you. That'll help us. You know, move you in the right direction. Yes, sir. Staying fit and mentally because the the cognitive stuff in there as well. Also, keep your joints in uh in the game as well. Mm-hmm. You know, if you still if you want to work out as you get older, mm-hmm. your joints you have lift to maintain. Today? No, not do yet. you lift today? I did. Yeah. What time you lift? What time do you usually work uh, out? It's not 4.30. <laughs> it's, I saw today I got up at 6. Okay. What'd you do? Uh, Just like, don't not, do, but like roughly, what'd you do? Yeah, what was, did you do pull-ups? Did you, what'd you do? Today's leg day. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I mean, it just happened to be. This is a Sunday. Yeah. But here's what's cool. I got done. I was just, the, my, my son opened the door to my garage and I could, you know, feel his presence there. <laughs> and normally he's wanting to jack steal himself. Mm-hmm. And I racked the weight, squats, Racked away, turned around, and he goes, how many more you got? And I go, I'm done, because I was literally done. And he goes, waves are good at the pier. And I go, let's hit it. <laughs> Is it cold right now? Kind of cold. It's California. It's California meaning 
It's not going to freeze, but it's right. not going to be warm yeah. either. Are we using a wetsuit right now? I used a wetsuit today. There you go. Boom. Weakness. Weakness? Think, no, no, no. Efficiency. Look, do you want to enjoy surfing? You don't want to enjoy surfing. Mm. You know what the weird thing is? Frankly, if you go surfing without a wetsuit, it's only cold for the first, most days. I mean, if, sure, yeah. if it's freezing. But most yeah. days, it's only cold for three minutes. And then it's just normal and you feel fine. Those three minutes, though. That's what puts people. That's what has people squeezing yeah. into that damn wetsuit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and also when you're in the cold water, they like you'll handle and maybe for like an hour. I mean, it depends who you are, obviously. Mm. But after like an hour, it's almost like the coldness. Like you get hit with that initial coldness, and your body's like, ah, it's not that cold actually. So we're cool. Plus, you're generating heat from yep. all the stuff. But then the coldness kind of on a strategic level starts mm. to just it, seep in. Yeah, and it kind of hits yeah. you you're like, bro, I'm kind of this. It's kind of here's a big done. factor. Do you surf, Carlos? No, I don't. Here's a big I, factor. If you're going to be catching a lot of waves and there's good waves coming in, you're going to be fine. Yeah. But if it's one of those days where you're going to be oh, waiting yeah. Yeah, and there's yeah. a little brisk breeze at your back, yeah. you're going to get chilly woo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to get chilly woo. There's two factors with that because one, you're not having fun. You know, like, oh, you can yeah. endure it. Like, you actually don't even notice a lot of stuff when you're having like fun. You don't notice how tired you're getting. Yeah. You don't know a lot, notice a lot of stuff. Cold's probably one of those when you're, you know, hitting. And then, uh, you're moving way less, yeah. And then you're just sitting there, just being cold. Just sitting there, being cold, being man. Cold, man. Now there's a, there, let's face it, that's kind of legit. <laughs> you know, when I when I see someone skinning yeah. it, I'm like, like props. You yeah. get into, I'm giving you props. If you're skinning yeah. it, you're getting props. Uh, Maybe yeah. if it's the dead of summer, right. but any other time, if it's not, if it's not August, yeah. and you're skinning it, I give you a little bit of, a little bit of, and sometimes myself too. Yeah. I'll be like, you know what? We're gonna do it. Yeah, yeah. A little skin. A it's oh, funny good. too, because when you go through buds, did you have wetsuits that had like legs connected to them when you went through buds? No, I don't think so. We just had shorties. Oh no, I had like beaver tail. Oh, so that's what we had at first recon battalion. Okay. Beaver tails. So yeah. when I got the buds, I'm like, dang, they give these students better wetsuits <laughs> yeah. and we got it. What's beaver tail? <laughs> it's like uh your the back of the wetsuit has like a long tail on it and it comes up underneath your crotch and like snaps into position oh, in right. front of you. Oh, okay. It does nothing to hold in any water at all. It's the dumbest invention ever. Whoever invented the beaver tail is an idiot. Okay. You would never come up with that plan, right? Yeah. So, cause, but now they have where the, the, the shirt of the wetsuit is connected to the trunks, which oh. is a whole different ball game. This is a whole different ball game. This is a totally different situation. Huh. And they get that in buds, by the way. You got that in buds. I don't think I've ever worn a wetsuit ever. I can't remember one single time. Hmm. Interesting. That's the way it is in Hawaii, right? It's a little different out here. Yep. Shredding. <laughs> anyway, back yep. to our joints. What are we talking we don't, about? Here? We don't want to have joint problems. That's another thing. Cold water is good for your yeah, joints. Yeah, it is. By the way, that's why you got to get in that bath. Yeah, in but, the ice bath. But if you're not going to jump in the ice bath as often as maybe you could, you just keep the what's called joint warfare super krill oil supplement. Just take the supplement. Mm -hmm. So. You know, easy way so you don't got to freeze yourself. Vitamin time D. Time. Take vitamin D, 100%. Take that every day. Yep, I agree. Cold War. Keep the immunity strong. Yep. Uh, you can get all this stuff from jockofuel.com. Get some milk too. Yeah. Because let's face it, man. Let's face it. That's a tough one. It's a tough one to not. Bro, did you see that? Did you? I posted some steaks I had the other day. Yes, yeah, I saw that. That, <sighs> that looked amazing. Yeah. People. People send me steaks, which is, <laughs> which is like the only like, yeah, people send me steaks. Those were from, 
they were you know Jack Arnold Jack yeah uh, he's he's a barbecue yeah yeah Big time. he sent those he sent is those. that the ones that he he always cooks yeah, I think with it's the, the, maybe I don't yeah. know if they're cow K-O-W yeah, but cow. damn they were good they were good yeah they look so good. good even when I got done eating those even when I got done eating a freaking full-on tomahawk steak mm. I was like cool guess what I wanted a little bit of sweetness yeah. a little bit of goodness yeah. a little bit what's that other word uh, it's like savory savory is like steak right yeah like salty or whatever right and then sweet what's mulk it's got both <laughs> Well, if you uh, think about it, the real good desserts, the flavors have mm. like a little bit of like savor, like a little bit of savor, a yeah. little bit. Yeah. And then if you think about it, like the good like savory has a little bit of sweet too when you think about it. So we're so talking about mulk basically. <laughs> it's hot mulk season, by the way. It's yeah. f- like there's having a hot mulk in the morning. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm not talking early morning like pre-workout. I'm talking nine o'clock in the morning. Starting to feel a little bit of hunger. It's a little bit cool outside. Hot milk coming at you live. Yeah, that's. Uh, hey, do I throw whipped cream on top of that? I do. <laughs> that's still paleo. Well, yeah, actually, a lot of whipped cream. Well, I don't know about yeah. a lot, but the the one that my wife buys, uh-huh. it's actually not that bad for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. It's actually pretty solid. I'm surprised by that. Keeping it real with that keto. Very happy with that. <laughs> Check. Did you sell some milk too? That, that's clean protein, though. By the way, we don't really mention that because, it, like, sometimes remember back in the day or whenever mm-hmm. you didn't take milk, you take protein shake. You got the, let's face it, like you get some secondary effects. Yeah. You know, from that. Not the not kind this of effects one. you want. Negative. No, no sir. No sir. <laughs> but no, it's not like that anymore. But yeah, there's that, and uh, then also Jocko White tea, the old school. If you like tea, hot tea now, obviously. Yep. And if you like deadlifting, by the way. Yes, sir. You're gonna want that Jocko That's White tea. That's the one. But yep. Yeah, get it all at JockoFuel.com. Also, uh, the energy drinks you already said, right? Yep, Vitamin Shop Wawa. and Wawa. By the way, I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about this or not yet, but we got we got some ready to drink milk coming. Oh yeah, yeah. And oh, um, nice. let's just say, I, I'm not saying that the creators the 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 creators deserve a Nobel Prize. I'm not saying <laughs> that it's saying definite, it. but they should be in the contention. They should be mentioned. There should yeah. be a mention. Okay. When you try these things, yeah. yeah. So you're going to be able to, in the future, go into a Wawa, boom, go restrate and just get milk on tap, bro. Like, And actually that makes level. sense when you think about it because it's not like, when you think about if you spend any time thinking about it, mm-hmm. Maybe I do, maybe I don't. I don't know. But either way, it's like you can't just, because milk is the powder, right? Yeah. And then you have your mix. Yeah. Like, you know, we'll put in the banana, we'll put in the whatever, yeah. right? And it's like this variations of mixes and variations of results. And it makes sense. So it's like, hey, if you're going to drink the ready-to-drink one, you got to commit to a very specific mix across the board yeah, per flavor. You see what I'm saying? So now you got to rely on whoever, expert. I know they're an expert, I'll tell you that. You ever had something come into your life that you just you just came out of nowhere? <laughs> like you couldn't yeah, have predicted sure. it? Uh, yeah. Let me tell you something. Yeah. Salted caramel. I didn't even yeah. know what this, this was not in my world. Yeah. Never in my world, this idea. Salted caramel. What is this? Like, what is this? So we have a salted car- caramel verse. It's pretty yeah. good, I'm actually familiar with a salted caramel, so that one to me, that makes sense. That sounds delicious. To All right. Me. So there we go. There you go. Boom. Also, get it. also, Origin USA, this is American-made stuff. Not just any stuff. It's like for real American-made like products, jeans, 
boots, smallets on there. The accessories, I've been going kind of deep on the accessories recently mm-hmm. on that website. Pretty impressive. Just getting in there. Oh, yeah. So, yes, everything from the material all the way to the product, all made in America. Quality stuff, too. If you care about the people and the process. If you care about humanity. Yes, sir. How's that? Yes, sir. If you care about humanity, Mm -hmm. go to OriginUSA.com. Because you know what you were talking about? You know what you were talking about earlier, Carlos? Um, You know, seeing people. These people are hard workers and the first time you work with an echelon front client, you're like, man, these people are working hard. They want to do a good job. And that's awesome. That's that's so awesome that we get to experience all these people across the country. But then there's industries and there's corporations that say, you know what? To hell with those people. To hell with those hardworking people. We're going to offshore this stuff. We're going to put it into slave labor camps. We're going to give money to communists. That's what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> that's what we're doing. That's... That's what we're doing. We're gonna we're gonna have slave people build this stuff, and we're gonna give money to communist regimes. That's what we'll do. How's that sound? And that kind of goes along with that forty-eight cents, like Yo, it's you're right. trying oh, to that's, get. That's right? what drives it. Yeah. Don't yeah. let that don't let that happen. Go to Origin yeah. USA. Get your boots. Get your jeans. Get your gi. Get your gi for shit. sure. You have Origin gear. You don't. <sighs> Brutal. Well, actually, in a way, that's that, my, no, it's one hundred percent my fault. Yeah, yeah I, it's one hundred percent my fault. I feel like it's one hundred percent your fault too. But I actually if, feel bad too because, like, what we were just, what I was just talking about, something coming into your life when you put on an origin gi <laughs> for real. When you put on an origin gi, it is for real. You got some other thing coming into your life that you did not expect was a thing. Yeah, there's that. I I will take you as soon as we get done recording. I'll take you. Can you can. <laughs> Touch one of mine. I, they're too big for you. But you'll I be like, gonna say, I'm going to get you one. We'll get you sorted. No, 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 no. no. We you can do that you too. You can touch mine. No, yeah, you can touch, do that too. Touch, you can touch. touch one of my origin geese and you'll be like, what is this? What yeah, yeah. sort of uh, uh, unicorn fur is this that's been used to create oh, this wow. thing? Because yeah. it's a different level, man. Yeah. It's a different level. Yeah, so we that's got what I was going to say. I was, uh, was going to say that's kind of good news in a way for me. So, like, you know, I can kind of like, you know how someone's about to do something really like, whether it be fun or cool or it's going to be real beneficial and then you get to like experience it with them, oh, you yeah. know? It's yeah. like you get to share that experience. Yeah. You get to see that so smile. It's kind of good news. Can't wait for you. Yeah. you know? mm-hmm. Got origin rash guards. Those are oh, awesome. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I do use well, those. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Made in America. Yeah. Just imagine that. Made in America. It's true. Beautiful thing. Go. Also, Jocko's store is called Jocko's store. That's where you can get your discipline equals freedom shirts the jujitsu shirt that i noticed that you are representing hardcore by the way that That freaking thing was legit oh yeah so there's it there's kind of a jujitsu section yes how many shirts are in the jujitsu section right now just that one in the (laughs) (laughs) limited section but a section nonetheless does it have its own breakout area uh yeah when dean's shirt comes out it will and it is gonna say foot right just like yours is good says foot actually that's his technically that's his design right I just saw a sticker. Someone put a sticker on the gym out here, and it's got it's got like an old nom picture of a dude with like a, a steel pot helmet on in nom American, but it's Dean Lister's face, and it says "Foot Soldier." <laughs> <laughs> See, we, we might have to have a Dean Lister sex. You can go deep with the, with the feet and yeah. Dean and that whole thing. It's true. So there you go. But yeah, good spot to get this stuff. Taco store where, uh, the, like I said, discipline equals freedom, jiu-jitsu stuff, uh, good 
That's a good one. Mm-hmm. You watch the Army Navy game. Yeah, let's face it. Yeah. <laughs> good goes deep. We'll say that. We we, we did uh, we did appreciate that, and it kind of worked for Navy. Were, were this? Yes, apparently. In the assessment, fully. Yes, sir. Seemed like it worked the out results good. Results speak for themselves. But yeah. Um, also, we have the shirt locker, which is a new shirt every month. Um, they're separate from the regular store, but it's a new shirt. They're a little bit more creative, would say. Some good good feedback on that one. We got things squared away too, by the way. We got one coming out too, right? There should be a new one coming out pretty soon. Yeah. So if I'm not sure what, so right now, like now, if you join, you'll get that shirt for that month. Mm -hmm. You know, before it was like, okay, I join, then the next month your shirt kind of comes, but it's all squared and right away, all that kind of stuff. It's good, squared. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we got December still going. And then yeah, January there's another one. That's how it works. Dude. You know, good <laughs> that's stuff. what that's what monthly shirt means. Yes, subscribe sir. to that if you're also subscribed to this podcast. We got this podcast. We got Jocko Unraveling. We got the Grounded Podcast. We got the Warrior Kid pod- Podcast. We also have Jocko Underground. JockoUnderground.com. We're on there answering questions, life advice, life advice, mm-hmm. alternative topics that apply to everything. Mm-hmm. If you know if you if you know the way broadly broadly you see it in all things, yeah, it also protects us because listen, we don't know what's going to happen in the world, but we do know that sometimes people want to control what you say. They want to control what we say. We haven't run into any major issues yet. A couple we brushed up against a couple. Yes. Then <laughs> we'd have a couple scenarios unfold. And just in case, just to protect us from that, we got to have a contingency plan. That's jockunderground.com. Go there if you want to support. Uh, cost eight dollars and eighteen cents a month, and we give you this extra podcast. But look, if you can't afford that, it's okay. Email assistance at jockunderground.com. We just got to have somewhere as an alternative place to be in case. So that's where we're at. YouTube channel. Yep, we have a YouTube channel. You want to see uh, Oscar De La Hoya, <laughs> Carlos Mendez? How he's you know he's handsome. You're more Jack though. Thank you. So that's what that would be the telltale sign, I think. If, the, if someone runs into you in the street, you're going to be like, dang, that's Oscar Del He's like, yeah, I've been lifting. Yeah, like, well, yeah, that's true. That's true. But, yes, if you want to see what you know what he looks like, YouTube channel, video version of this podcast, and excerpts, yeah. which is important. Yeah. Also, uh, check out Origins YouTube channel. Yeah. It's good to know what's happening. For instance, COVID outbreak in Maine. Did oh, you know about dang. that? I did not know Yeah, that. see? So if you, you, would, you would know about that. Uh, COVID outbreak in Maine. We had like 40 people. Oh, yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah okay, yeah. I watched that one. But, which is a bummer. Yeah. We got people coming back in now, but Black Friday, do you know what that is? Yes, sir. It's after Thanksgiving, people go shopping. I, yeah, I heard. Yeah. yeah. And we sold a bunch of stuff, which is awesome. And then everyone got sick with COVID, or a bunch of people got sick with COVID. So now we're trying to play catch up. Yep. And uh, Pete making moves, trying yep. to make it happen. Yeah. Amanda. That's a big like learning channel too when you think about it because you can see like um, like of course how the inner workings of a American business is mm-hmm. but like how that just like this just like and they they've done it many times before where it's like an issue will come up and you can see like how they'll solve the issue and it's unique to that specific thing mm-hmm. so it's like oh okay you can kind of it's like a demonstration yep interesting um, psychological warfare yep. if you got any moments of weakness you can overcome them. Press play on your phone. Hit play. Got an MP3 out there. Yep. How many tracks? Do you remember? Uh, it's, I think it's seven or nine. I forget. Nine tracks, I'm thinking. Yep. So it's nine, nine, give or take, moments or types of moments of weakness. You got coverage for that. Check. Boom. Also, Dakota Meyer has 
company called Flipside Canvas, flipsidecanvas.com. Go there, get cool stuff to hang on your wall. If you don't have a, if you don't have a elk head to hang on your wall, yeah. then you can get one of these things as an alternate, yeah. alternate thing to hang on your wall. Yeah, books, we got some books. Um, <clears throat> Final Spin, that just came out. Getting freaking awesome reviews, which is crazy. Yeah. It's crazy to think of something weird and then write it and then people give you cool reviews. Right. Very cool. It's not what you expect, I have to say that. That's a lot of people say, I wasn't expecting this. In fact, some people go, I wasn't expecting the story to go this way. Again, we're not very, pre- we're less predictable less possibly than you know some people might think. Mm-hmm. Leadership strategy and tactics, field manual. The code, the evaluations, the protocol, discipline, because freedom, field manual. Way the Warrior Kid, one, two, three, and four. This is the book to get for all the kids that you know. And by the way, sometimes people are like, well, I, does it, is it appropriate for girls? Yes. Girls, boys, kids. Get these freaking books for the kids. This is the Christmas season. Get, there's no better gift you can get a kid than these books. That's a, that's a bold statement. Carlos, do you think that's a bold statement? No better gift. No better gift. I would have to agree. That's I grew up with books, loved books. Mm. I don't think, I think kids don't read enough these days. I don't think there's a better gift you can give a kid than the way the warrior kid books. And I got many, many, many kids and parents that will back that up. That aren't me. <laughs> uh, Mike and the Dragons, you can also get that for the little kids. Warning, little warning, when you read that to your kids, you might start crying. It's happened before, Echo Charles. No, that was war, war, way the worry kid won. Oh, really? When Uncle Jake. Oh, no, no. Okay, when I was making the video, yeah, a little bit. For yes. Mikey and the Dragons. Yeah. Get a little teared up over there. Well, that was, was you, guys. <laughs> <laughs> way the worry kid when Uncle Jake spoiler, spoiler alert by the way yeah. when Uncle Jake had to went home yeah bro was kind of sad dude I was laughing when when I read that one story and you were crying like really hard <laughs> <laughs> on the podcast I wasn't crying that's the yeah, thing I he was crying, crying no, so hard no, 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 and no. he edited it down <laughs> people go do you edit the podcast and I'm like no nah, we never edited he edited it down I didn't realize it until later because he was crying Bruh, and couldn't put a sentence together it's not true. It's and not then true. I'm, I'm, I'm la- I started laughing so hard and I'm like bro you can't break down like this dude he's talking about he's talking about a Hawaii five zero and he's breaking down it right. was a sad scene is yeah. what I was saying right. or a happy scene sorry so Warning, Mike and the Dragons might catch you off guard if you're feeling emotionally vulnerable. Yeah. Then it might catch you a little bit. So just, you know, stay strong. Stay strong. You know, stay focused. Yes, Don't sir. let yourself break down. Mm-hmm. About Face by Hackworth. Extreme ownership and the dichotomy of leadership. That actually helped your marriage. That attitude. Yeah. Taking true, ownership man. of That's things. That's true. That's I went back deal. and read the book again, but in a different way. Because the first time I read it, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I want to be a better leader in combat. Yeah, so that's yeah, kind of like yeah. the vision I had when I was reading it. And then the second time, I'm like, wait a minute, I'm going to read it for my life, my personal life. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, that's a good from a switch. a different lens. It's yeah. such a useful switch where like, because that's a big thing, right? Where it's like, oh, yeah, these big bad Navy SEALs, they're going to tell me how to run my daycare center. Like, bro, no way. Like, in real life, no way. But it's like, just like, yes, yes, exactly right. (laughs) Where it's like the Navy see like all the combat stuff. That's just the example. Essentially. It's just an example Mm. of these principles, like being used in these like 
situations or whatever. But and since they they are useful in everything, if you look at it in the in the sense of where this is, they're talking to me for my specific situation and using the the battlefield as a metaphor for sure. But they're talking to me for me for my specific situation. It's like oh shoot, mm-hmm. everything checks out. Yep. And as you read things from different perspectives, like, yeah, you can read it from a professional perspective like you did the first time, Carlos. Then you read it from a personal perspective the next time. But then guess what happens? You get promoted. Read it again. You see it from another perspective again. Mm -hmm. Then you have a problem where you get moved to a new team and everything's the dynamics are different. Read it again. It's a you will have a different perspective and you will pick up more things from those books. Also. We have a leadership consultancy we were just talking about, Echelon Front, echelonfront.com. If you want to do any of the things that we talk about on this podcast, if you want to learn any of the information, go to echelonfront.com. It's what we do. We do, look, we do the FTX. That's one part of it. We also do leadership training that's not experiential. So you're going to sit down, learn with us, but we'll still make it dynamic through role playing and other, other methodologies that we have. So... If you want to check some of that out, go to echelonfront.com. You having fun there, Carlos? Oh, yeah. It's awesome. I mean, the people that you meet are just amazing as well. Because, I mean, people that call for extreme ownership are not lazy people. <laughs> They're people who just want to take it to the next level. So I honestly haven't met a client yet that I just didn't really like. And, I, and it's awesome because you keep in touch with them. Like, they hit yeah. you up every now and then, and they kind of become your friends. Yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. For sure. I get texts all the time. I get texts from that are like, hey, we just did this. It's awesome. I'll also get texts like, hey, can I talk to you? And they'll have some situation going on. It's like, all right, what do you got? What do you got? Let's work through this. Hey, we also have an online training academy. And there's a bunch of reasons why we started that. The biggest reason why we started it is because, like I was saying earlier about jujitsu and actually having a skill and getting good at this thing called leadership, well, just like jujitsu, you can't go to one class and be like, oh, okay, cool, I'm good now, I know it. No, it takes repetition, it takes understanding the various angles, it takes expanded knowledge, it takes confronting different scenarios multiple times so you understand how to understand them. You learn to understand how to understand them. Imagine that, you're looking at a situation you don't know what to do, you can actually understand how to understand that. So this doesn't happen overnight. That's why we, that's the, why we made ExtremeOwnership.com and the Online Training Academy. Um, we're on there all the time. There's courses that you can take. You can go live sessions. I'm on there two or three times a week answering questions face-to-face like on a Zoom call. It's a Zoom call. You want to ask me a question? Come on there, ExtremeOwnership.com if you want to check that out. If you want to help service members, active and retired, you want to help their families, you want to help Gold Star families, check out Mark Lee's mom, Mama Lee. She's got a charity organization, does a ton of incredible stuff for our veterans. If you want to donate or you want to get involved, go to americasmightywarriors.org. Actually, I just heard Joe Rogan talking about hyperbaric chambers. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the big things that Mama Lee does is she takes service members and gets them hyperbaric chamber treatments for like 30 straight days. So good for you. So helpful. So check that out if you want. And if you want more of my just continued droning talking or you need more of Echo's... 
about why I gotta be like <laughs> just just unknown <laughs> randomness. Um, yeah, you can find us on the interwebs, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I'm at Echo Charles, Ec- and I am at Jocko Willink. Echo's at Echo Charles. Carlos was was is now on the gram. I am Carlos underscore Mendez underscore two forty six. Correct. That was your entry into the social media world, right? Yeah, I didn't have one in the teams, and uh, when I came on to Echelon Front, JP told me to open one up. <laughs> so, and, a new uh, world out there. I could watch so many jiu-jitsu videos. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Yeah. 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 It's funny yeah. how they know what you like. It's like, how am I already getting this? Yeah. The whole no algorithm thing, yeah. like the algorithm thing, I wrote the other day, fight the algorithm. But the problem is when the jujitsu videos start rolling, and it's hard to fight that algorithm. Oh, yeah. like, wait a second, let me watch that again. Bro, kind of embrace the algorithm in no, a way. No, in a way. Take it, it easy. Way. <laughs> take it easy. <laughs> and yeah. LinkedIn, you're on LinkedIn. Yeah, I am on LinkedIn. Yeah. yeah. Is that? Do you do you like participate in LinkedIn? Because you mentioned it a few times today. Uh, so I had it when I when I was uh getting ready to transition out of the yeah, navy because that's how I started reaching out to people. Yeah. So yeah, I have one of those too. Yeah, I have LinkedIn no, I, too. Yeah, me too. So we're on there. Uh, Echo, you got any final questions? Oh, that's it. Oh, actually, um, so do you think, and I, I think this may seem like an obvious answer, but more so, okay, so when you were growing up, you know, you had so many chores, like it was like hard, right? Like, so you got used to hard work really quickly yeah. and thoroughly, essentially. Could you feel that, like, as, you know, you go through, like, you know, hard things in combat, buds, like, all these hard things or whatever. And Because you said, you said something kind of interesting where you're like, okay, on the third time, after you got rolled or whatever, the third time you passed with no no issues, you said. Yeah. A lot of people, like, buds is, like, real hard for them. Did you feel that your work ethic that was established, like, was the factor that made it, like, a non-issue? Like, could you feel that at the time? Yeah, absolutely. Um it was crazy. I thought about my, my stepdad a lot during Hell Week because I thought about how hard he worked. I mean, I mean, right. the man worked nonstop, seven days a week, two jobs. And when I was going through Hell Week, I thought about him. Hmm. I was like, you know what? If he can do that, I can do this. Right. Yes. This is how I'm going to provide for my, myself and my family. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was thinking when you are saying that. Also, it kind of makes you reflect, like, you reflect on, like, someone like your childhood. Then I think, man, I should give my kids more chores. <laughs> You know what's so weird about buds is you <laughs> just never know who's gonna make it through. You really don't. And there's some yeah. silver spoon people that go through there and crush it. Yeah. And there's some silver spoon people that wash out day two. And yeah. there's some freaking kids that grew up wherever in a shitty situation working their ass off and they quit. Yeah. And there's some kids like that that are awesome. It's so bizarre. Yeah. It's weird. It's very bizarre. Yeah. It's very hard to predict. There is some like some Oh, if the guy, like they say, if someone wrestled, it's a really good thing because you have to work really hard in wrestling. Right. That's a that's like an indicator, but it's by no means, oh, he wrestled, he's going to make it. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. Not even close. Yeah, it's one of the many factors. One of the help. many factors. It might be a little nudge in the direction of, but it's no guarantee. That's, crazy. that's it. No, good to, good to see you again. Yeah, likewise. Uh-huh. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. Any closing thoughts, Carlos? No, not really. Just uh, super grateful to be here. Grateful to be part of the, the EF team. It's awesome being around team guys again. <laughs> <laughs> Always good, man. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, hey, man, thanks for thanks for coming out today. Um, obviously, thanks for your service in the teams. And thanks for what you're doing right now to continue to share the lessons that we learned uh, to help people 
which is what we're doing, just doing our best to help people. I, I, you have a great way of imparting the messages. Um, obviously, it's great that you can open up us to open up the the tactics and the strategies and the principles to a whole new audience because you're a fluent Spanish speaker, which is awesome. It's been awesome to, I love watching those videos. I'm like, cause I, I can understand a little bit of Spanish, you know, and cause I took three semesters of it when I was at University of San Diego. And so I can understand it. I kind of get the vibe, you know, but man, it's freaking cool to watch. So um, yeah, man, it's great. I appreciate it. And thanks for holding down the tradition of the teams and thanks to all the other frogmen out there still in the teams still keeping the machine rolling on and upholding the standard set by our forefathers and thanks to all the military personnel out there in every service for protecting freedom around the world and to our police law enforcement firefighters paramedics EMTs dispatchers correctional officers border patrol secret service all other first responders including your wife Carlos <laughs> Thanks for protecting us here at home and everybody else out there. The machine will roll on. The world's going to carry on without us. That's the reality. It would be arrogant to think otherwise. But at the same time, we can make a difference. You can help someone. You can teach someone. You can inspire someone. You can make your part of the world a little bit better and you do that by going out there every day and getting after it and until next time this is Carlos and Echo and Jocko out <laughs>